Welcome to episode 60 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we got a fucking best picture showdown for you guys. The 65th Academy Awards. That's the films of 1992. Uh, So we're going back in time about 30 years and which is crazy because some of these movies have aged so well and some very poorly <laughs> uh with the best picture showdown you know connor and i like to watch all five movies that are up for the award and uh kind of discuss them and then with unforgiven from this year being the winner we're going to give that movie awards later uh we're going to dive into the cast and crew some people that were nom- have been nominated in the past because this is this is fucking Clint Eastwood. This is Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, Richard Harris. You know, <laughs> like this is a holy shit kind of movie with some super, super star power, all kind of coming out of a strange place. They all have, you know, Clint Eastwood's been a superstar for a long time. Gene Hackman, Academy Award winner, been a superstar for a long time. Morgan Freeman's about to go on this crazy, you know, rejuvenated run in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, and Richard Harris just brings a whole different kind of class. <laughs> Uh, I, this, this movie blew me away. So I'm really glad we chose 1992 to kind of base it around Unforgiven and talk about this Clint Eastwood borderline masterpiece. Oh, it's awesome. It's been a minute since I watched Unforgiven. Same. It, it has this kind of, it's Clint Eastwood's farewell to the Western. It's mm. really, and he really does pull out all the stops. You could tell he cared about this project a lot. Um, yeah. And it was also his first Oscar. And I was reading in the trivia Clint always thought he'd never have an Oscar, and he gave three reasons. He said, one, I'm not Jewish. Two, I make too much money. And three, I just don't give a fuck. (laughs) So here he is, like four Oscars into his career, and I guess that's all gone away. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess they they got, yeah, uh, uh, kind of one of one type type guy in Hollywood. Just really kind of, March to his own beat at all times, uh, always has, still does, you know, with the movies he makes uh, and always has his touch on it. Uh, you and I went and saw fucking Richard Jewell together. Like yeah. that feels like not that long ago. Uh, and this dude has been kind of in the game for so, so long. You kind of have to respect the, the resume and what he's kind of put together. But the man, you know, <laughs> he's a strange dude, really strange dude. And, uh, you know, if you're a listener of Filmgasm, you kind of know that we're a little more, uh, you know, liberal over here. <laughs> so, so Clint Eastwood is just kind of a fascinating guy to separate the art, his craft from kind of his off-screen antics that are just kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's been kind of a senile old maniac for about 10, 15 years now. But yeah, that never translates into his films. No, not, well, not ever. I mean, there's American Sniper, but other than that, uh, of of course, it, it bleeds a little bit. His politics bleed a little bit, but it's never, it's never like uh, that bothersome to me. Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I think he's he's done a good job of separating himself as a person from his work, and I think it's amazing that this dude who was you know the, like the macho, tough guy of the '60s and '70s became such an acclaimed director, making such really a lot of fantastic dramatic masterpieces. I mean, you know, Mystic River mm. and like Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby, which I have not yet seen, but I've heard is great. It's yeah. kind of neat. You don't see that a lot. I love when actors become directors and it never, no one usually has the level of transfer success that Clint Eastwood had. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really well put. He, he really does. When you, when you are watching unforgiven, you're kind of like, Oh my God, I'm in somebody's hands right now. Yeah. And that, that, that is so special. <laughs> that's such a special place to be as a director, as like you said, moving from in front of the screen to also working behind or in front of the camera to working behind the camera. And he does, does it kind of seamlessly uh, and can be up for awards, you know, for best actor and uh, best director and producer, you know, <laughs> he's just, he's everywhere, especially with Unforgiven. I love that you pointed out that this is totally his, uh, his goodbye. You know, he didn't want to do another Western after cause he, he would, he, he admitted at the time that he was scared of copying himself or being redundant with the genre. He didn't want to like disrespect it. Yeah. And for that, I, I respect the hell out of that to, to kind of recognize that and say, Oh, I'm, I should probably move to different things uh, and kind of stretch my wings here. Cause, cause I don't, I, I don't want to be that guy who just kind of makes the same movie over and over. And with that unforgiven is super original and, and influences movies today. Uh, and every performance in it is including Eastwood is so good. is so worth your time. Uh, I, I kind of, overlooked this movie for a long time i saw it years ago i just did not know what i was seeing you know uh i was i was a teenager maybe 15 16 somewhere in there i didn't know what i was really watching and this time around with the intention of giving it awards and all of that i i have a whole different perspective on it um definitely raised a couple ratings you know <laughs> a couple numbers a couple numbers for me so i, I was very, very grateful that we chose this year uh the 65th academy awards so of course you and I, not only will we be giving awards out to Unforgiven later on at the very end of the show, before that, you know, when we run down the 65th Academy Awards, you and I will rank the Best Picture nominees. And that is Scent of a Woman, Howard's End, A Few Good Men, The Crying Game, and The Winner, Unforgiven. So you and I, later on, I cannot wait for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be doing, a, you know, kind of a top five. But we got to talk about these, these people that are in this movie. This is what we do at the beginning of most most of our Oscar Sundays is we we like to kind of shout out the Oscar nominated individuals and we've been talking about Eastwood. Let's keep talking about him. Uh, for you, his his career goes so far beyond you know what this conversation, the Oscar one. So before we get into it, are there some films that you love of his that don't really show up here? Well, I mean, there's always you know the place where he started the Dollars trilogy, Sergio Leone's. Yes, uh, full of dollars for a few dollars more, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're considered, you know, three of the greatest westerns of all time. Three of the greatest films of all time. Yes, yeah, and they're the ones that put Clint Eastwood on the map. You know, the reason he has that, you know, his signature kind of like squint is because the black cigarettes he was uh, smoking in those movies, like, blew back into his eyes and had made him kind of have to like squint, and it became his signature throughout everything he did after that it's it's kind of cool and those movies still hold up as awesome stories as oh yeah template for so much that comes after and then clint would go on to you know direct and star in westerns of his own like pale rider the outlaw josie wales high plains drifter hang him high two meals mm. for sister sarah he never stopped let's go let's go <laughs> yeah and unbelievable as cool as those are I got to say, I got to give a tip of my hat to Dirty Harry. Mm. That movie get brought up. Yeah. is one of the most badass, violent, 
cop movies ever made. 1971 still holds up. Basically, it's, you know, Clint Eastwood fucking up the Zodiac Killer, which is just fantastic. Yeah, so cool. Well, I love how in Zodiac they show him seeing Dirty Harry, uh, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Isn't that so cool? You got to love that. Yeah, because he knows. David Fincher fucking knows. <laughs> it's awesome. These are the movies that introduced me to this guy. You know, I didn't, mm. I didn't know him as the Oscar-winning director. I, like a lot of people saw him as the, you know, the action badass who was just, you know, fucking up everyone who got in his way. Yeah. In, you know, as a cowboy or as a dirty cop. And then later on, I found out about his directing work and I never looked back, but he is, you know, say what you want about the man, about his politics, about who he is as a person. The guy's a Renaissance man and he deserves cinematic respect. Yeah. Totally. Totally agree. Totally agree with that. Uh, And and that's so cool. I love, I love when this happens where the way you were introduced to him was the, to me, the right way. Uh, this is, this is what made him a star working with Sergio who clearly had a massive impact on him. Yeah. And Unfor- unforgiven is totally like, all right. I, you know, he's tipping his hat to his, you know, to the guys that kind of gave him paid, paved away for him. Uh, I, I, I was in the opposite end. You know, the, the first movies I saw were, you know, Million Dollar Baby and Mystic River and Letters from Iwo Jima, all Oscar-nominated movies, all, you know, movies that he directed, Gran Torino, stuff like that. Uh, American Sniper, for sure, is in that, in that, that group. And then, it, and then I went back, you know, then I went back and did, you know, watch the stuff that you watched earlier. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is, this stretch of his career is way cooler. <laughs> I, I, I love, I love, adore Mystic River. Uh, Letters from Iwo Jima is, 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 a, is an awesome movie. Uh, Million Dollar Baby is, is very solid. Uh, American Sniper, not so much, but I, I respect his, his, his craft. His eye is really cool. But the superstar Eastwood, where he's like the star of the film and he's just fucking, uh, you know, they're just letting him loose. That's the best stuff of his career. I think, I, I think it's like hands down, you know, I think like you point out Dirty Harry is definitely my favorite role of his, definitely my favorite movie that he's involved with. 1971 is a very special year. You know, Gene Hackman's in Unforgiven with Eastwood. Back in 1971, Gene Hackman won his Academy Award for French Connection. And those, that stuff is really cool, right? When you, those, that stuff overlaps, look at what they were doing. They're both playing cops. <laughs> <laughs> and then here they are in Unforgiven, you know, going toe to toe. So I love watching kind of the journey, a journey of people and, Eastwoods is fascinating. His first nomination comes with Unforgiven, Best Actor in a Lead Role, uh, and then he won Best Director and, of course, Best Picture as a Producer. Uh, he got an honorary award in 1995. That seems to be given out to a lot of people where, oh, shit, we missed your whole career. You're, you're like your you're younger days. Here you go. You know, so, <laughs> but we're going to keep giving you shit. <laughs> it always makes me laugh when people get an honorary like Lifetime Achievement Award in the middle or like towards the beginning of their Oscar resume. <laughs> Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. They're like, oh man, we really messed up. Uh, he's nominated for best director, uh, Mr. River and nominated for best picture as a producer. Uh, he's nominated for best performance by an actor in a lead role, million dollar baby 2004. Uh, he's also uh, a winner there again for director and again, best picture of the year winner as a producer. Pretty crazy. Uh, the stuff he's involved with, uh, he's nominated for best directing and best picture of the year for Letters from Iwo Jima, 2006. That's a really interesting year. Uh, you got 
Little Miss Sunshine, The Departed. Uh, what else is in there? Um, Queen. The Queen. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty. That, I think that's like an underrated year as we go on as we go along. Yeah. Uh, the Departed just seemed like it kind of had it in the bag the whole time. Uh, and then uh, Clint Eastwood's last nomination. Um, I'm sure he'll he, he may get more. We'll see. Uh, he's a producer in American Sniper, and that was up for Best Picture. Don't really understand in a year uh, 2014 with so many amazing films, how American Sniper was up for Best Picture makes no sense. He's got one in the works right now called Cry Macho that could yeah, make yeah, Oscar yeah. waves here. He's for sure directing and starring in it. Dude's in his like late 80s. He might be in his early 90s at this point. I don't know. Yeah, no, he he is. He was born in 1930. <laughs> All right. So in 19 in 1971, he's 41 years old already in Dirty Harry. Like that's just so crazy. <laughs> uh, man, the guy's lived a life. Uh, crazy stuff. I want to mention uh, after Clint Eastwood, uh, David Webb Peoples. He's nominated. Only nomination is, is right here for Unforgiven. And that, that kind of surprised me because this is a pretty damn good screenplay. You figured there'd be something else uh, that he, he would have been nominated for, but no, that was it. But I uh, got to shout him out. Uh, we'll be talking about him a little bit later as we go into the 65th Academy Awards. But these next three guys uh, are a lot of fun. These, these next three performers. Uh, and we got we to gotta start with Mr. Hackman. Gene fucking Hackman. And now... Here's a guy that I knew nothing about until a certain age. You know, Clint Eastwood, you have ideas about him, right? Yeah. You, you see stuff at all different ages. Gene Hackman, it took me a long time to realize, oh, this is, okay, this is one of, those, one of those guys. I just knew him as the coach in Hoosiers for so long. But now, you know, he, he really is a, a, another kind of one-of-one type guy, has his, has his own look. And it is like astonishingly scary at times. Uh, he can just be playing a sheriff. He can be playing a cop. Doesn't matter. He's, he's very scary. Yeah, he plays a great kind of middle ground villain. Not, like, yes. not too sadistic, but definitely an asshole that needs to be stopped. Y- yeah. Like it's kind of, that's the one you look out for, you know, you, you know, the guy who's, he, he may not be totally on your radar, but he should be. He fucking <laughs> should be. <laughs> he's he's crazy he's a he's a two-time oscar winner uh and and nominations on top of that when you win two that puts you into a, a different place in in oscar history it's a very hard to get two. very very hard to get three and as we've seen only one person has gotten four so uh gene hackman's kind of in a in, in a in a class of his own you know with some some kind of hall of famer type people uh he was nominated for best actor supporting role bonnie and clyde 1967 he was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, I Never Sang for My Father, 1970. He won for Best Actor in a Lead Role, French Connection, 1971. Was nominated for Best Actor, Mississippi Burning, 1988. And then he won for the film we're talking about today, Unforgiven, Best Actor in a Supporting Role. How about that? Really cool run. <laughs> yeah, hell of a run. And uh, I got to see Mississippi Burning. That keeps coming up. On yeah, this show. we both kind of, we both had that, that moment of oh man that keeps kind of popping back in my brain i need to see that <laughs> yeah thankfully i have seen both of his winning performances uh thanks to you i finally ended up watching the french connection and it is a bitchin 70s cop thriller yeah uh, why did we why did why did we do that that was our bonus for the exorcist 
Ah, William Friedkin. Okay, okay. Die. That's a good. That's a good double feature. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I do say so myself. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he is. You know, Popeye Doyle is the perfect amount of crooked cop, and he's just heroic enough that you root for him, but just dirty enough that you kind of hate him the whole time. It's an interesting mixture. Yeah. And Hackman was so good at that. He was so good at playing people you love to hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he does that. Uh, one of the first times I realized who I was watching and kind of, I remember kind of talking to my mom about it. She's like, no, he's like a legend. You know, this guy, this guy's kind of his own, his own thing. He's watching The Firm and he's just that right amount of evil. Same thing you're talking about. Or uh, uh, probably my personal, you know, his best work i think comes in uh, rarely it comes in as two uh winning performances i think that's the best stuff i've seen but my favorite is, is royal tenenbaum and the royal tenenbaums uh wes anderson's film from 2001 he makes that movie go to a different level it, it goes from a quirky wes anderson film to holy shit you have to see this <laughs> gene hackman is is unbelievable in it and really wish he would have uh, made some noise at the at the oscars you know uh for that role. I thought he was unbelievable. I got introduced to this guy uh, pretty early on as a kid uh, when my mom and my uncle showed me Superman. Uh, yeah. I was about to say, it's gotta be Lex Luthor. Yeah. <laughs> Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time. And yeah. that was, you know, the first time I ever saw Gene Hackman and the first time I ever saw Lex Luthor. So he was always attached to that role in my head. And he played him as, you know, this megalomaniac who believes firmly that he's the smartest man on earth and no one can stop him. Who do you cast? But Gene Hackman. It's perfect. Yeah. And yeah. then, of course, I, I didn't realize this for years, but after I did realize it, I'm like, holy shit. Um, his brief cameo in Young Frankenstein. Yeah, Blind Man. Yeah. Blind man. yeah. I was going to make espresso. That guy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's a great little performance. And for years, I didn't know that was Gene Hackman. Yeah, that, that same year he's in The Conversation. Awesome, awesome movie. Jesus Christ. Uh, we got to talk about that one when we did Chinatown. Uh, boy, boy, that's a cool movie, and he's, he's amazing in it. Uh, Reds, we talked about not too long ago, 1981. He's really good in that, too. He really brings the heat no matter what. He's, he's one of those guys that get brought up a lot on this show because – these are some of the some of the best actors of, of of all time, you know. And Gene Hackman's kind of in that conversation of you have to really look at how impressive the the variety, the range. And then when he does something that's kind of in his comfort zone, he fucking kills it. You know, when you when you just go ahead and typecast him as you know fucking little Bill, he just destroys the shit out of it. Like, ah, who could do that? Yeah, Gene Hackman. You know, like that's exactly who you think of, and he he. He meets your expectations and exceeds them. You know, uh, he's he's the man. If you all ever watch Unforgiven and think, wow, I love Gene Hackman in this, but I really wish he was way more hammy and way more sadistic. I recommend 1995's The Quick and the Dead. Oh, he, good call. He essentially plays the same <laughs> character, just way more of an evil piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's very true. And in that movie, you get early DiCaprio, early Russell Crowe, yeah. Sharon Stone. Uh, I think Tobin Bell's in that. Like, really solid cats. It's Sam Raimi. And yeah. underrated as hell movie. Really fun Western. Hell yeah. Same year, he does a, a really cool movie with Denzel, Crimson Tide, oh. 1995. That's a cool movie. Yeah. 
God, we could go on and on. Enemy of the State, 1998. The Replacements, 2000. Come on, come on. This guy's great. He's he's so he's so cool. Uh, and you know, hasn't you know basically retired in 2004. And that was that. He like stayed true to his word. Like that. He really was. Like that was it. It's it's he's he's done. Also born in 1930. Him and Clint Eastwood. So they are a couple of old gentlemen. Actually, Gene Hackman just learned this. Born uh, January 30th. Uh, day before me, January 31st. So just, just a few years older, (laughs) uh, good old, good old Gene sharing the January birthdays. I know you're in January as well, Connor. Yes, I am. (laughs) I'm happy that I share a birthday with Rob zombie. I brag about that a lot. That's cool. My, my best ones are, uh, Jackie Robinson and I'm not a huge fan, but he's really popular. Justin Timberlake. I'm not a, you know, big Timberlake fan, but he's cool as Sean Parker and social network. The two that stood out the most for me, I had Rob Zombie and I had fucking Rush Limbaugh, which I was <laughs> so bummed out. But he's dead now, so it's okay. <laughs> so it's all right. Yeah, yeah, you gotta love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think we really could do. Uh, you know, Gene Hackman's a guy, same as Clint Eastwood. You kind of go on and on for like an hour about about those kind of guys. Their resumes are so fascinating. You kind of forget how many movies they just they worked on and. and like left an imprint on not just worked on but you really remember what they did uh and we're going right into another guy who you could throw into that category born in 1937 memphis tennessee morgan freeman man i completely forgot like totally forgot about the storyline of ned in this movie and just like how important it is and maybe that was something I, i was totally missing the first time i saw it but geez dude you know this is he becomes a vital, vital piece to, to the, the motive for this, yeah. this whole story. So, and he's great. You know, Morgan Freeman is great and unforgiven and he's an Oscar winner as well. You know, we're just, we got guys left and right. Uh, Million Dollar Baby. That's a movie that's come up a few times now. Uh, clearly Clint Eastwood and him have a, an understanding. Yeah. Like a professional and like they work really well together. That's true. I, I got to see Million Dollar Baby. It's one that I just, when I was, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't care. And now that I'm an adult, I don't have time. <laughs> I got to yeah, yep. get to that. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, 2004, that, that we were really young at that time. So you really do have to have, you know, put time aside as an adult to say, I'm going to watch Million Dollar Baby this afternoon <laughs> and, and yeah there's so many movies to watch that i understand why you, you kind of push it to the side uh it is solid though it's a good movie 2004 is a tough year um and I, I have no problem with it you know taking that award but it probably wouldn't have been my vote uh but morgan freeman you know he's he's nominated in 1988 for street smart best actor in a supporting role he's nominated for driving miss daisy 1989 best actor in a lead role he's nominated for the Shawshank Redemption, Best Actor in a Lead Role, 1994. Very special as Red. Uh, and then his win, 2004, Million Dollar Baby, Best Actor Supporting Role. And then his latest nomination is 2009, Invictus, Best Actor in a Lead Role. Not a huge fan of Invictus. That, that is one of the Eastwood ones that I thought just kind of missed a little bit. Um, I, I didn't think Matt Damon was that great. And while Morgan Freeman does have the look for Mandela, I, I didn't think he was that great either. I, I don't know. I had completely forgotten Invictus was an Eastwood movie. <laughs> That's yeah. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen that. Um, 
I haven't seen that million dollar baby or street smart. Uh, yeah, just haven't gotten there. Well, uh, you obviously have a preference in driving Miss Daisy or Shawshank. So, uh, two, two polar opposite movies. (laughs) You could say that. Yeah. One is a life-changing experience and just an all around incredible film. And the other one is, you know, it's driving Miss Daisy. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's yeah. just a, a, a miss. Yeah, yeah, not, not, not a good one to have on the resume there. Uh, and not a fun one to be a winner. Definitely, notoriously one of the worst winners of all time for the best picture category in a really cool year too. So just, yeah, really sucks. Uh, but, but Morgan Freeman, it's not just this stuff. It really is his, you know, kind of heat check stuff, you know, and, and to me more popular stuff like uh, – like seven or uh, in the dark night as Lucius Fox. He's so good. in in, in those movies, the, the Batman movies, he, he provides a, him and Michael Caine provide a, a grace that I think is like very necessary throughout this superhero trilogy. That is so fucking in your face. I do like when we get kind of a couple old guys, just, just chatting it up and they like what two better guys <laughs> than, than Morgan and Michael. They're both just stellar. And that's kind of like where my favorite stuff is for him is Morgan Freeman coming in kind of hot. And then, you know, he's, he's not there for most of the movie. I think he's a really good uh, character actor, supporting, supporting type guy works really well with others, but uh, he, he's awesome and unforgiven. Just awesome. Yeah. As a character who's kind of, you know, more of a background note until the very end of the movie when he's the catalyst for William Money's fucking rampage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you believe it. It feels like, yeah, if my best friend was murdered by townsfolk and I was an ex gunslinger, who's notoriously known for killing hundreds of people. This is exactly what I would do. It's yeah, Yeah. of course. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's what we all, I would hope everybody would do right. If they're one of their best buddies, their partner who they worked with, you know, We'd all and not even get the, that. Get, the, get the skills of, of money <laughs> killed because of my actions. Like he, you know, that's the worst part. I think that's what really drives money. It's not just that they killed his friend. It's they killed mm. him because of him. And he, yeah. knows he knows that no matter what he does, there is always going to be more blood on his hands. So why not just fucking open the floodgates? Yeah. You wanted yeah, the outlaw. You fucking got him. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's what the audience wants the whole time. The audience is like, come on, give us a taste of that fucking crazy dude, that, you know, this vicious guy. I want to see Give me the man with no name. I want to yeah. see, where is he? And here he is. It's, ah. <laughs> oh, man, so good. I love it. Uh, Morgan Freeman, have, uh, have you been able to see Glory? Oh, I love Glory. Got to shout that one out, right? I mean, he's spectacular in that. But that what an awesome film. Yeah, that's a fantastic film. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, Denzel's first Oscar. Mm. Uh, tells a really touching story. And uh, my first time with uh, Morgan Freeman, I think, was probably Batman Begins, honestly, but I didn't know who he was. Or Bruce Almighty, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, God. Completely There's God. Bruce Almighty, yeah. probably. Uh, my first time knowing who he was was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, okay. The 90s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, where he was um, uh, Azim, the like Robin's friend who he helps escape the Crusades and says, I owe you my life until I save yours. And he's just there with 
Kevin Costner the whole time. That movie would be so much better if it was anybody but Kevin Costner. It really would I know. Better. I know. There's Potential. so many British actors and you get this guy. Oh, sorry. It's a, hot, it's a it's hot that, button issue for me. It's that dance with wolves bullshit, you know? He's riding that yeah. riding that 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 horse still. And then you got <laughs> fucking Christian Slater as his like secret brother. Are you kidding me? In like in fucking crusade era England, this is your cast. Yeah, you get the douchebag from Heathers and and fucking dances with wolves guy. Come on. Come on. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that movie should be so much better than it is. <laughs> Morgan Freeman in uh how about Lucky Number 11? I bet you saw that at a young age, yeah. I saw that fairly uh recently, like within the past 5 or 6 years. Okay, and, okay. Uh, I I went in with zero expectations. I was like Netflix you know, it's next on my list. Might as well. Bruce Willis probably did this for the check. I don't like Josh Hartnett. Let's do this. And I ended up being like, this is fucking cool. I really liked it. So yeah, yeah. it's fun. It's a, it's a fun movie. Definitely has, has like a lot of nineties touches on it. That, uh, that I really like, uh, gone baby gone. It's Jack Doyle. Haven't seen that uh, the bucket list 2007. That one's fun. Cause you're just watching two yeah. old dudes having fun. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he he's he's great, man. Uh, fucking Morgan Freeman can do movies that are that are awesome, but he also has a lot of paycheck roles that are, uh, you know, like Ted Two. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck's he like, doing there? <laughs> I, I don't know. In Last Vegas, and uh, you know, they're, they're Dolphin Tale. There's movies where it's. I, I guess I'll just do this because I I, I want to collect some money. Um, and those are here. Those are here on his resume. But there's 136 acting credits, so chances are, a few of those are not going to be hits. Uh, <laughs> what is he turned down? <laughs> doesn't look like anything. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, doesn't look like it. Uh, people definitely come to him, though. You know, he yeah he he has a look, right? He has he has a look that is just made for the screen. You know, this guy's kind of just really easy to look at uh any age he is he's he's awesome and kind of breathtaking when he kind of comes out of his shell and starts to kind of like you you hear him raise his voice a little bit it's just wild it's like an experience well and that voice that you know sultry Mm -hmm. soothing yeah like ever since march of the penguins he's kind of become the narrator like been stereotyped as the narrator life yeah i gotta say you know yeah i of course who else would you want to narrate anything that voice is so recognizable it's yeah it's awesome yeah i I think a lot of people definitely wish they had that to kind of like lull them to sleep you know (laughs) just like tell your bait tell your day back to you like you know (laughs) and then occasionally throw in like a shawshank quote (laughs) (laughs) i just miss my friend andy dufresne (laughs) i feel like i'd be almost asleep and be like wait a minute Fuck yeah! Perk <laughs> up like we, we doing Shawshank now. Now I'm just thinking about Tim Robbins, Frank Darabont. God damn it! <laughs> I'm thinking about Forrest Gump now, 1994, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> uh, that's that's where our minds go. That's kind of why we do this show, so we can finally hash it out, <laughs> figure our shit out. Um, last performer I want to talk about. Last last actor would be Mr. Richard Harris, sir. English. English Bob, yes, yeah, Sir Richard Harris. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 not a not not from here. Uh this this man is no longer with us. Died in 2002 at age 72. Was also born in 1930, just like Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman. Weird. 
Um, boy, where do you begin with this guy? This uh, monster, monster of an actor, monster performer. Steals the show and everything he does. Just steals it. I think you got to really start with like the role that everybody of our generation saw him as the first time. And that's Albus Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter films. You know, I didn't Uh, know who Richard Harris was, but I knew that voice and I knew that look. He was Dumbledore to me and to everybody. And he only took that role because his grandkids were like, if you don't play Dumbledore, we're not speaking to you. (laughs) Because... Yeah, you know, you get a your pop ops an actor, he gets a call to be Dumbledore. You don't turn that down. No, no, you, you really don't. Uh, and ugh, sucks so bad that it's literally right after the beginning of, of, of that whole franchise, right? You know, it goes from 2001 to 2011, right? Deathly Hallows Part Two is 2011. I mean, just one of the most successful movie franchises, you know. You know, obviously, book series of all time with these legendary characters and Dumbledore is a lot of people's. You know, one one of one of the favorites. You know, he's a he's a big time character that you kind of look up to with the, this story. And and Richard Harris just is the best part of the first movie. He's so perfect as Dumbledore. It works. It works so well. And then when you watch some of his stuff, when it's like, oh, this is Richard Harris. You know, this is him mind-boggling mind-boggling that this this guy could play this yeah the the, the headmaster of fucking hogwarts you know and he's english bob what (laughs) (laughs) that's only nine years apart makes no sense how he's able to do that just an astonishing actor uh just has two nominations but we'll we'll talk a lot uh, more about him it's the the sporting life 1963 he was nominated for best actor in a lead role and then the field, 1990, his best nominated for best actor in a lead role, uh, but but I, yeah, that doesn't really matter when you're talking about Richard Harris. It's it, it it is you know the stuff he does in Harry Potter, Gladiator, Camelot, Unforgiven, The Count of Monte Cristo. These are like monstrous performances, daunt like daunting, and he doesn't need he doesn't he needs five minutes to get you. That's all he really needs. Um, God, he's damn good and Unforgiven. Uh, Another thing that went way over my head when I first watched it, I didn't realize what I was seeing, you know? Um, and he's spectacular. Every word he says is, I, I, I'm paying attention to every little thing he says. And he's a guy I want to learn. I want to learn more about him. I want to see more of his old school performances from, you know, the 60s and 70s. All right, I'm, I'm very excited to kind of be rejuvenated in this way. You know, I, I, I've had a respect for him, but now I'm, I'm on the hunt, you know? He's been a, you know, I think I've seen, I saw a lot of his later work uh, throughout my life. The Count of Monte Cristo, obviously, is one of my all-time favorite movies. I talk about that a lot. And he's Abbe Faria, the prisoner who teaches Edmond Dantes how to fight and how to read and write and how to be an educated man. And it's a great little performance. It was one of his final ones. You can tell he's, he looks very sick. But he still has this strength and this ferocity about him as an actor that says like, even though I'm probably dying right now, I will not be upstaged. I will Mm. not falter in my performance. And that is admirable. You saw it in Gladiator too, just his brief bit as Marcus Aurelius, you know, going toe to toe with Joaquin Phoenix and Russell Crowe. And you can tell that they're in awe of a master. And 
God, he was so good. I really, he's a guy I need to explore the first half of his career big time. Camelot yeah. is one I've always wanted to see. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Uh, a man called Horse, the Molly Maguires, Cromwell. Like, we got to see these. You know, these, this guy has my attention big time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Super excited. Super excited to kind of, kind of go down that road one day. Um, there are two more, two more gentlemen uh, that I'd like to talk about that are not performers. They're, Definitely crew members. And the first one will be Joel Cox, the film editor. And uh, just before we get into get into him, uh, Unforgiven is cut to damn near perfection. I think that's I think it's, that's its strongest suit is how this seemingly just epic, monstrous movie is is really almost inside two hours. It's like two hours and ten minutes, and it goes by like nothing. It does exactly what a you know big, beautiful, awesome movie is supposed to do, uh, and then some. You know, and I think that's I think that's due to the pacing. That's due to just the sheer cutting of the film. It just makes sense. Every turn they take made sense to me, and I, I felt again. I felt like I was in a specific set of hands, and that that'd be Clint Eastwood and Joel Cox. I think those are guys you got you got to look at. So Joel Cox, uh, I definitely you know want to want to look at his stuff because he's definitely a Clint Eastwood collaborator uh if you if you will it seems like clint likes to work with the same people as we've learned a lot of these directors like to work with the same people uh especially in the old days man especially in you know old hollywood there's there's this consistency where oh why not just go ahead and work with this guy as cinematographer this guy's the editor this guy's this because this is what i'm used to you know and if you were in that position to where you're you know working with other movie minds that are they're doing different jobs would you want to work with the same people like consistently or would you rather kind of learn learn about other people work with a bunch of different people at different positions what would you feel more comfortable doing i think that's a fascinating question well in a weird way i kind of did i mean you know building up this podcast i've found the right people i've stuck with the right people i've found people i can rely on people i enjoy working with and i've kept them on you know, it's, I get that as a director, you know, you, you find people who can do the job right and you want to make sure it's done right every time. So you, you lean on reliability. I get that. But I also understand people who want to experiment and find people who they can rely on for multiple jobs. You know, that way, if my go-to guy is, you know, occupied, I don't have to just go in the dark. I can say like, well, I know this guy and that guy and this guy who can edit my film just as good. So mm. I get both sides of the argument. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think I, I think I would like to do a bit of mix and matching, you know, kind of. I, I think that's what I think that's what most people end up doing, right? They, it, they they don't have the exact same people all the time, but it is fascinating to see with someone like Clint Eastwood, who's a you know, a filmmaker who's pretty much prolific at this point with as far as just churning them out. Uh, it, it is interesting to see that he does like kind of choose the the same people over and over. Uh, Joel Cox, one the Oscar for best film editing for the movie we're talking about today, Unforgiven. Uh, then he was nominated for million dollar baby and American sniper. So <laughs> that's, that's what I'm talking about. And then if you go to his larger resume, that's it, you, you see more of his films, you know, you see more Clint Eastwood stuff, but that's it's, it is fun to see, see other things with these, with these people who else have they worked with, you know, and then you take a look and you're like, Holy shit, prisoners. He worked with Denny Villeneuve, <laughs> uh, a guy that I, 
very much, very much respect. Uh, he worked on fucking Jay Edgar, you know, another, another Eastwood, <laughs> another Eastwood bomb, in my opinion. Uh, there's Invictus as well, Trouble with the Curve, uh, Changeling 2008. Uh, you know, it's like they talk on the phone and they're like, hey, uh, I got something going on yeah. this weekend. You want, you want to join? <laughs> At that point, you know, when you've had a working relationship with somebody for 30 years, it's not... I got a project I want to pitch to you. It's, hey, we're going to Florida to film a new one. Meet me there. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly right. So it's, it's few and far between here with uh, stuff that does involve uh, Clint Eastwood, you know, and it's, it's random stuff like fucking prisoners and Den of Thieves and All Eyes on Me. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. But he, he clearly is very good at his job. Uh, a lot of these movies, strong points is it's directing. It's overall kind of pacing i think i think clint eastwood has always been very good at that uh i think mostly the stuff he needs to work on is sometimes the story doesn't always doesn't always but i i think the direction and technically his movies are always crisp as hell i think he like straight up did learn the like the business from sergio leone yeah yeah mentor he showed him how to be a filmmaker and here we are, you know, no wonder his films are so pristine and directed with an inch of their lives. You know, this is, he's Sergio Leone's prote- uh, protege. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. You got, you got to love it. And you got to love bringing up a guy who definitely influences Eastwood when you work with someone that much, you clearly have something that you care about what they say. And Joel Cox is one of those guys. Uh, the last person I want to bring up is another one of those guys. Uh, it's Henry Bumstead, a guy who's definitely worked with um, Clint Eastwood a few times as well. Um, but some amazing films on the side. He's a uh, uh, works mostly in art direction, set decoration, that kind of stuff. That's mostly what uh, he's known for. Uh, but listen to these, man. These are these are kind of wild. He was nominated in 1958 for Vertigo. Wow. He won in 1962 for To Kill a Mockingbird. Won in 1973 for The Sting, and it was nominated for 1992's Unforgiven. What the fuck? Yeah, isn't that a crazy? Expecting that kind of resume when we clicked on this dude. Wow. No, 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 not at all. There's definitely Eastwood stuff, but not all of it. You know, it's not all he did. There's a lot of other shit, and you you just look on down the line. You're like, oh man, there's some really good movies here. (laughs) I mean, Vertigo is is a spectacular film and the sting, you know, it's another best picture winner, 1973. Awesome movie. Just really cool. Uh, he's no longer with us. He died in, in 2006. He's born in 1915. So he was, you know, 91 years old. You know, this is a guy who would be over a hundred right now. I love shouting these people out. They, they mean a lot to what we watch, what we fall in love with. We're led to believe that the performers are the only, only people that we need to latch onto. It's just not true. There's, there are people that make things happen from point A to point B and uh, Henry Bumstead had to be brought up. And uh, I think after wrapping those guys up, Mr. Bumstead, thank you for finishing us off. We can move to the 65th Academy Awards properly. Uh, we have nine categories to go through. We'll finish off with best picture so we can do our rankings. I can't wait, but nine, nine is the most along with Howard's end, but Unforgiven led the night with four wins altogether. Nobody else had that. I think we should probably start with best sound just to get it out of the way. Sounds good. Best sound, my favorite category. 
so vague. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we have for best sound Aladdin, A Few Good Men, Under Siege, Unforgiven, <laughs> and the winner of The Last of the Mohicans. I never knew any Steven Seagal films ever even touched the fucking Oscars. That is remarkable. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that. That is wild. These other films, you know, Unforgiven is very respected. A few good men. A lot of people see it as maybe Sorkin's best work. Uh, Aladdin's like one of the most, you know, acclaimed Disney movies of all time. Last of the Mohicans, fucking Michael Mann and Daniel Day Lewis, <laughs> and then Under Siege. <laughs> what the fuck? You know that guy became uh, a star on a bet. Do you know that? No, no. <laughs> funniest story this producer in hollywood was like you know what i bet you i can turn any joe schmo into a movie star and his buddy was like well i know this weirdo downtown who teaches karate and that ended up being steven seagal and he won the bet he turned him into a movie star (laughs) jesus yeah well i kind of believe it (laughs) uh that's crazy uh uh you i assume you've seen everything here yeah i haven't seen under siege because i i do have standards but I've seen the rest of these movies. Oh, okay. Well, neither. Yeah, neither have I. I, I, I don't really go down that 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 path. Uh, but yeah, the other four. Uh, this is a this is a cool group. You know, I don't really know what has the best sound to me. I guess Last Mohicans. Sure. I <laughs> I, I would have given this to Aladdin. That's fair. Yeah, I, I just don't really know what this category even what it's trying to do i don't know we've talked about this many times i don't fucking get it best sound it's too vague narrow yeah. it down you can't just i don't know what that means best sound is an academy award that recognizes the finest or most euphoric sound mixing recording sound design and sound editing okay but before that it was you know best sound editing best sound mixing like what do you want which one sounds the best <laughs> aladdin yeah yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. After that, I'd probably actually say Unforgiven. Unforgiven has like that classic Hollywood Western, just beautiful crispness to it that, again, Eastwood always brings to his pictures. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. This is, I, I'm glad to talk about these movies more than even care about who wins it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, with that, best art direction. We have mm. or production design now, if you want to, which makes more sense. We have Dracula, Chaplin, Toys, Unforgiven, and the winner, Howard's End. Again, what an eclectic, weird group of films. <laughs> yeah, fucking toys, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? That's, you know, that's, that's early, you know, right after Dead Poets Society and like Good, Good Morning Vietnam. That's Robin Williams, like weird ass movie. Uh, but you know, um, Howard's End, if anything, it looks fucking astonishing, that movie. It is like a whole different world. It's, um, there's, there's movies that, you know, can, can entertain me that are kind of like, you know, period pieces. But this one, I, it's, it's definitely too long. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's definitely, it's runtime it's, is hurting it. But I, I felt myself okay because this place that I'm in is so beautiful, so vibrant, so many textures. Unbelievable what they do with that with that movie. So I'm I'm okay with it winning this. But Chaplin 
Chaplin, man. Chaplin's got a lot of cool stuff going for it. And same with Unforgiven. So this, th- those three, I think, are, are battling it out. Dude, when I was a kid and I discovered Charlie Chaplin, I was ecstatic. And then when I found out they made a movie about the guy I just discovered, I was ecstatic. Like, yeah. So it's just, it's neat to see Chaplin here. But honestly, I give production design to Dracula. Uh, okay. Howard's End, I agree. It's, it looks gorgeous. Those British period films, you can always bet on production design and costume design for those films. Uh, they never falter in those departments. Yeah. Dracula, though, is not a great movie. It is so miscast almost across the board. It takes some serious liberties with the novel, but it looks gorgeous. And yeah. it, it really looks like 1800s Transylvania, this elaborate Gothic architecture and just a creepy tone throughout. And I, I, I think it looks amazing. I think it still looks amazing, but I do not like the movie, but I still think it should have won production design. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I'd like to throw Batman Returns into this category. Oh, yes. If I could, uh, you know, maybe take toys out. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This is, this, is a, this is a decent category. Like you said, eclectic group of films. While they're not all great movies, they all provide something very unique in this department. So, I, yeah, I, I'm okay with really any of them winning. Uh, your votes with Dracula, mine's with Howard Zen. So I, I like that. I would like to throw in one more p- film that I think should have been here. Um, Death Becomes Her. Oh, good call. 1992. One of Robert Zemeckis' weirdest films and another film I've loved mm-hmm. since I was a kid because I've always had a thing for this guy's movies. Uh, but that film is all about, you know, capturing the dark side of Hollywood. And the production design of that film is gorgeous. It's all, you know, rich, lavish Hollywood mansions and then just like even richer mansions to the real power of Hollywood. It's I think it does a real good job capturing that. It did win best uh, visual effects, so it didn't go home empty handed. But there you go. That was its only nomination. And I think it should have had more of a splash here. Yeah, yeah, I could totally, totally see that. Uh, Good call. I love that. Yeah, I think I think these categories are a lot of fun. You know, what movies kind of pop to you and. What, what makes that setting so special when you go to it? Uh, good category. Good category here. They didn't, they didn't totally miss on this one. I like it. I always like that category. Like art direction, production design. Like what makes the movie, you know, how is it built? It's always nice to go through those. Oh, yeah. Uh, best cinematography. This is an interesting, huh. We have Hoffa, <laughs> uh, Stephen H. Borum, Howard's End, Tony Pierce Roberts, the Lover, Robert Frace, Unforgiven, Jack N. Green, and the winner, A River Runs Through It, Philippe Rousselot. Uh, I've never even heard of The Lover. And Hoffa, I've always wanted to see, and then A River Runs Through It, I barely know about. So it's weird, like the bunch of films here. Usually cinematography somewhat matches the uh, best picture category, but what the hell happened here? <clears throat> yeah, like completely different. Uh, you just have two of those here. And The, the Lover, yes, yeah, it's like a French movie that I just don't know much about. Hoffa, I've heard it is just like a shit. I've just stayed away from it because I've heard it's a like, pile of shit. I've, Damn. I've heard it's terrible. Yeah, you hear Jack Nicholson as Jimmy Hoffa, you think, uh, you, you like why that? not? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, and Danny DeVito. I, I, I think that's Danny DeVito directing, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I mean, yeah, what you hope you'd hope it's good. I've always stayed away. That's fucking unfortunate. I I always thought this movie was worth checking out. That's a bummer. <laughs> you you uh, so you have seen it? No, no, you have. Okay, you haven't. I I I just misheard you. I thought you you, you had seen it. So neither of us have seen it. I've stayed away from it because I've heard it's bad. No. And you you're hoping one day we should watch it, man. One day we should just take that take that dive because yeah. It, it has all the things you would want out of a film and, you know, Jack Nicholson on the front there, uh, the poster just staring at you. Yeah. You, you would hope it's good, but yeah, I, I've, I've read really bad things and it's really disappointing. Uh, of course, Hoffa, we just saw him portrayed not that long ago, uh, in the Irishman. So, um, I've always wanted a movie more just about him, you know? Um, and I think the Irishman just, it's unpopular opinion, but here on Oscar Sunday, we're not huge fans of that movie. And I think, I think there's some stuff just totally missing from it. But uh, anyways, stop complaining about those. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a really weird thing to see. You pointed out cinematography usually has big names that are behind big movies that are up for best picture. And to see this here, usually there's one or two wild cards, but here there's like three. And that, that's really surprising. Uh, River runs through it. Have not been able to see that movie. Uh, definitely, definitely on my list. You know, I, I love Robert Redford. I'll kind of watch anything that he's in or directs uh, and Brad Pitt being in it to me, Brad Pitt is the second coming of Robert Redford. So I, I got, I got to see that. That's, that's, that's beautiful. I, yeah, I can see that. That's weird. Isn't it? <laughs> they, they look, they look so similar. It's fucking weird. Yeah. When do you think Pitt's going to start directing? You know, he's thought about it. Yeah. He's clearly, um, God, what a weird career. You could talk about Pitt forever. Uh, just doing all these crazy fucking things in the late nineties. And then, and then going to the two thousands, he's like, I'm just going to keep doing whatever the fuck I want. You know, I'm just going to, if I want to be in Moneyball and tree of life, I'm going to go, I'm going to fucking do it. Uh, <laughs> he, he's the man. And I think, you know, after he was like a, one of the producers on 12 years of slave, I think he was like, okay, I like this. I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. And you see his name pop up more and more, you know, as a producer and different things. And it's, it's got to be coming. I wonder, I wonder if it's going to be uh, one of those times where it's something real special, like the way Bradley Cooper did a star is born where it's just like, Oh man, he's going to come out with a, a bang, you know, and kind of come onto the scene. Cause that, that, that basically is the last thing Brad Pitt has to do. He's done everything you can as a, as you know, he's been an, an amazing character actor. He leads movies like no one else can and has been so weird in so many different movies, you know, like 12 monkeys and fight club. Like people weren't doing that, you know, people, people don't, aren't that weird, (laughs) (laughs) but he's also able to play like, uh, you know, a dad in Moneyball, And I don't know, he's kind of done everything you can in in front of the camera. I'd like to see him, see him do that. I just wonder what kind of a movie it'll be. I feel like it'll be more like a Dustin Hoffman kind of quiet indie mm. play adaptation that's just for him. And then he'll test the waters with that, like that and then do a Star is Born thing if that's received well. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's a good call. Yeah, maybe start out a little bit smaller. Maybe use a couple people that are like kind of primetime actors, you know, that are not as well known. You know, someone like Paul Giamatti comes to mind, a guy who can bring the heat. 
but isn't, you know, that isn't fucking Leo, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe do something like that. Maybe do yeah, a nice little indie drama. That would be great. Anything he does, I'm kind of on board. Isn't that exactly what Philip Seymour Hoffman did with Jack Goes Boating? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Love. I like that movie too. Me too. Um, thought, thought it was lovely. Uh, yeah. Cinematography. Uh, we were talking about Robert Redford. Uh, River runs through it. We got to Brad Pitt. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, fantastic. Uh, after, after that is a uh, screenplay, right? Best original screenplay. Uh, oh, again, boy. a weird bunch of films. This wasn't like the selection process this year was. All right. We got Husband and Wives by Woody Allen. Lorenzo's Oil by George Miller and Nick Enright. Passion Fish by John Sayles. Unforgiven by David Webb Peoples. And the winner, The Crying Game by Neil Jordan. That is a very interesting bunch of people. Woody Allen, George Miller, John Sayles. Holy shit. Uh, and I think The Crying Game is a solid film. It's very unlike anything people were making at the time. But I, I, might, I think this goes to Unforgiven, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other three I've only seen, I haven't seen Husbands and Wives. You know, Woody Allen, I'm just not very keen on like studying his career, even though he's a huge, huge Oscar guy. Uh, haven't seen Lorenzo's Oil, but I have seen Passion Fish because that's got that's got two of my favorite actresses of all time. It's got Alfred Woodard and Angela Bassett in it. Both of them are fucking awesome. That's a cool movie. You you'd like that one. Uh, but but yeah, if you're if you're looking at Unforgiven and the Crying Game, these are the two films that are also in the Best Picture category. To me, it's not even a fucking contest between those two. The Crying Game has some good stuff, but it is not, I don't think it's well put together. And I'll go ahead and say it now. The twist, the quote unquote twist is fucking stupid. It's disrespectful. It's like saying, uh, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, this is a spoiler. Uh, but I feel like everybody kind of knows what's coming. <laughs> uh, it is not cool to use a transgender character in a movie and make that when their body is revealed for it to be a fucking shock in the movie. That's not right. That makes no sense. I know it's a much different time in 1992, but it's like the music gets super intense and then he starts puking. You're like, what? Come on. What, what is this? Is this fucking Ace Ventura or what are we doing? Come on. Like I, I did not, I did not like that. I knew it was coming and I was, I thought it was handled so fucking poorly and it, threw me off for the rest of the movie, uh, which is a shame because there is good stuff about it. Jay Davidson's great. Uh, Forrest Whitaker, the, the bit he's in, he's really good. Uh, but I thought the crying game was just kind of all over the place, kind of sloppy. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I do. I think that Neil Jordan was trying to make a couple different movies at once. Uh, and yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the transgender thing has not aged well. Uh, but it's I just, thought, yeah, it's poor. Yeah, for 1992, it was handled as good as we were gonna get <laughs> in 1992. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Tough stuff. It's really tough stuff. That's a movie that, uh, yeah. Again, I just I knew it was coming. I didn't know how it was gonna be handled, but I was kind of like, oh, before all of that, that kind of ride in the movie, I was. I thought some of it was good. Some of it's solid. 
but again, I, I do. I think the main problem is there's maybe two or three movies in here and not just one, not one solid one, but just kind of multiple ideas kind of floating around. Well, and it really fucked up Jay Davidson. I mean, he, he had a, you know, he played the bad guy in Stargate and then left the business. And that was, that was it. Yeah. 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 That's a damn shame. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really sad. I was reading about that. Just kind of Jay Davidson's exit of Hollywood and of just fame in general. Just didn't really want that at all. And Gotta respect that decision. So the best original screenplay, I'm wondering where the hell is Reservoir Dogs? Like, how is that not here? They, they, they didn't know what they were doing yet. Uh, you know, it's one of those where, oh, we don't, we don't know what's going on quite yet. My question is to you: Is Glengarry Glen Ross? Why is that in neither category for screenplay? Yeah, based on is that uh, is that an original? Is that an original or is that a book? That's based on David Mamet's play. So that would be an adapted. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How is it not there? Well, <laughs> that's the best screenplay out of all of them, out of the whole, the whole bunch, that one in the player. Uh, but Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is just like bonkers. It's an amazing, amazing screenplay. And it's here, right here. I see Al Pacino up for best supporting actor, but you can't. So Reservoir Dogs, they missed. They, the Academy clearly overlooked it, missed it. They're, they're not cool enough to catch that. But when a film is here, like this is, this is the same issue I have with the Truman Show last week. It's here, but you've missed Jim Carrey. <laughs> you know, uh, Glengarry Glen Ross is here, but you missed that screenplay. What, what were you watching? You clearly didn't see the same movie as me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always happens. I, I don't get it. These films that, you know, the Oscars love these period films, these, I don't know. It's uh, it's weird. I don't know. I think Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, 100% deserves a slot here and a spot in the best picture category, I think. Oh, fuck yeah. 100%. Yeah. Has an argument to be the best movie from that year. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, I hate that shit. I hate, I hate when a movie like that, that is a really a, just a diamond, a diamond. Oh, and got some of the coolest people delivering the words, you know, it's just, yeah, they just missed, they missed that one bad. <laughs> the last category that Unforgiven did not win in is best actor. So let's talk these guys. We have, here we go. Oh boy. Robert Downey Jr. In Chaplin, Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven, Stephen Ray in the crying game, Denzel Washington in Malcolm X and the winner, Al Pacino, Scent of a Woman. I'm glad I finally have context (laughs) for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Um, Oh boy. Where do you want to begin here? (laughs) (laughs) This is hard. This is really really hard. Seen seen all of these now. Um, Everyone's good. Everyone's good. But Denzel Washington is great. Uh, really wish he would have won for Malcolm X. He should have three wins, maybe even four at this point. Uh, and Malcolm X is one of those, I think. It's one of Spike Lee's best movies. Uh, he definitely should have been up for best director. Don't really understand that one. Um, but Al Pacino winning here. You know, this is, this is one of those wins that people get really upset with, including myself. 
until I fucking put my walls down and just watched the movie. And I was like, hey, this is actually pretty damn good. <laughs> I actually kind of like this movie. I, th- I think it's pretty cool. And what Al Pacino's doing is, is pretty amazing. I'm okay with him winning for this. Do I wish it was Godfather? Of course. But I wish it was both. <laughs> you know, uh, this one's really hard. I think Robert Downey Jr. is unbelievable as Chaplin. Uh, and and Stephen Ray's, he, he's all right. Uh, and Clint Eastwood, we've talked a lot about. But to me, this is between Denzel and Al Pacino. Uh, that's, that's the race, in my opinion. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, I really was against Pacino's win here. But, you know, like you said, I finally watched the work. And I'm like, why do people get upset about this? He's really, really good in Scent of a Woman. It's a, a really heartfelt, you know, performance that's hidden under a bunch of sour, you know, crazy bullshit. But his chemistry with Chris O'Donnell really works. I hate that Batman and Robin torpedoed that poor kid's career because he was really good. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. just, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm on Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman with this. I think this was deserved. I don't. I think on some level it was a career Oscar, but also a well deserved one for a good performance. But I think it should have been his second Oscar after Godfather Two. That's uh, that's totally fair. I think I think it's very similar to what we just saw with Anthony Hopkins winning people are going to be upset about it in the future but if you really watch it it's it's a pretty damn good performance you know uh if you really just watch it yeah exactly exactly and that's what you got to remember it really does come it's not you know it doesn't it's not the actor's filmography it's not their place in film history it's not their you know who they are as a human being it's the performance in the film at hand that's all that matters yeah the moment yeah pacino incentive woman is fucking good yeah yeah he yeah well, let's just talk about him for a minute because uh well one incentive woman in general uh my my guy my favorite actor of all time philip seymour hoffman is so good he's so good at it uh and you know right from the get-go uh you know you're really seeing him a lot you know hey jazz you know <laughs> you're getting a lot of philip seymour hoffman and a lot of chris o'donnell and then when you're finally introduced to al pacino's character uh uh, Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade. <laughs> what a name. What a name. You, you just, you're like enamored by him right away. He's like screaming. He's drinking. He's blind. You just like, what? Like, this guy's a fucking wild card, you know? And who better to just yell and scream and go crazy than Al Pacino? Uh, he's, he's really doing things that he's comfortable with doing as a performer. And again, I think Gene Hackman's doing that in Unforgiven. Sometimes that's what we need. Let's give the people what they want. <laughs> you know, and I think, I think Al Pacino is totally in his element in this movie. Yeah. Just, he's doing the stuff that he does as Tony Montana. He's just yelling. He's just yelling at people. You're a fucking asshole. You know, you're a fucking, like, he's just, he's got a foul mouth. He's got these war stories. Like, you know, he's, this is perfect for Al Pacino, this role. And it's, and it's inside of a movie that has a lot of stuff going for it has a lot of like interesting little lessons, you know, a little cheesy at times, but for the most part, it fills out that two and a half hour runtime pretty nicely. And it's pretty worth it. You know, the, the stuff with them just talking about women, you know, and his foul mouth towards women and Chris O'Donnell's like, man, you really got a one track mind, you know, (laughs) it's that stuff is hilarious to see Pacino, older Pacino, just kind of battle through this blind guy. who's just like, I got to do this to stay, stay going you know uh and then themes of suicide and 
depression and kind of finding your identity and what, when you have an identity and it's taken away, what are you now, you know? And they're both running a course, uh, Chris O'Donnell and Al Pacino in this movie, their characters are running a course of, uh, you know, I'm dealing with this depression because of what's surrounding me in my life. And I'm blind and I, I don't have a life cause I can't see. And then this kid who's like, I'm about to not have a life cause I'm about to get kicked out of the school. It's really cool. It's really cool. I, I just, I talked a lot of shit about this movie for the past like eight years and mm-hmm. shame on me, you know, shame on me for just kind of jumping on that bandwagon uh, and just being like, Oh, it's bullshit. You know, he should have won for his stuff in the seventies. You know, where's dog the afternoon. Where's Godfather. Where's Serpico. Well, he's really good in this too. So, and plus you got to look at the guys he was going against in the seventies, not the easiest competition. So, um, <laughs> This I, I love this. I, I love that he won for this. I would have voted for Denzel, but I'm very okay with Al Pacino taking the win. This is that's a good that's a good battle between those two. And the other three, they got something to say as well. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I've got a lot to lot to unpack with Scent of a Woman, but I'll I'll hold off on that for now. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's it's an awesome movie. Uh, now to the wins. We got best film editing. Uh, we've got Basic Instinct, The Crying Game, A Few Good Men, The Player, and the winner, Unforgiven. Uh, very, I love the variety at this, at this show. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> this is, uh, I know you love The Player. That's a, it's a big one for you. Yeah, this is, this is if I were, you know, if, I, if it were my world, this is the best picture winner, right, is, is The Player. Uh, I would have the player Reservoir Dogs and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross as those first three. That, where the <laughs> hell are they? Um, <clears throat> I watched this finally on Criterion maybe like a year ago, uh, and I I knew, I knew a lot about it. I knew you know this is one of Altman's you know great works, um, novel by Michael Tolkien that he also wrote. wrote he wrote the screenplay. Um, and it has a cast that runs forever, just amazing people in it. And Tim Robbins kind of leading the charge. It's a movie that uh, th- there are movies out there that make you realize how much you like the craft, you know, how much you, you really enjoy the, the craft and the, the, the job of filmmaking, you know, the, the occupation of these different, these different people and us talking about cinematographers and film editors and directors and actors, the player, fucks with all of that and kind of gives you a glimpse into the world while also, you know, holding it in a certain regard and also making fun of it constantly. And I, I, I love when a movie realizes what it is, you know, <laughs> it, it has a glares on top of itself. Um, I, I can't say enough about the player. I, I do want to save like a lot of my true thoughts about it because I want you to see it it's a movie that you, you really got to see it unfold because it's wacky. It's wild. It's dark, really dark at times. And I, I, I can't wait for you to see it. It's a perfect nineties movie too, right? It's got all these people in it. And again, Tim Robbins kind of in his, in his prime, just destroying it, you know, right before Shawshank, right before Hudsucker. He, yeah, he's, he's so fucking good in that movie. Um, really wish the player would have been up for best picture. So you could have watched it, but I know, you, I know you will one day. I know you will. Cause uh, it is one of those where I'm, I'm a hundred percent that when I give you a recommendation, sometimes I'm like, ah, 
maybe this won't, this won't, you know, fly, but the player will, I know you're going to enjoy the player. Uh, it's a, it's a movie fans movie. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I'm, I will. I'll, once I have some, uh, some space between podcasts, I'll carve yeah. out a little time for the player. Well, I do, I do want to do uh, an episode one day kind of around one of his movies, one of Altman's movies. I think Altman is the man and maybe that, maybe that'll be the time, you know, you can kind of knock out some of his work. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I I'm dying to see 1993 shortcuts from a year later. So one day, one day we'll, we'll do a big Altman show. You, uh, <laughs> I remember long time ago, like episode four, we did in the bedroom. And I remember you liking Gosford Park. I did like Gosford Park. I uh, didn't think I was going to like it, but it was a entertaining kind of, you know, Downton Abbey murder mystery. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Altman understands like what's the most interesting thing from this particular setting or a piece of like culture. And let's go into that, you know, uh, California split one of my favorite gambling movies of all time. Uh, and he just totally understands. All right. If like a degenerate wants to watch this movie, that's me. Uh, what place do they really want to go to? And they want to go with these two characters who are just, they can't fucking stop playing. You know, they cannot stop playing these games. And that, that's, that's just my kind of shit. I think Allman's the man. Uh, yeah. Let, anytime the player gets brought up, I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, we talked about it. Unforgiven really excels in its film editing, and I, I, I'm glad it won. Director. Oh, boy. <laughs> we have Neil Jordan for The Crying Game, James Ivory for Howard's End, Robert Altman for The Player, Martin Brest for Scent of a Woman, and the winner, Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven. Hmm. What a bunch. <laughs> crazy, crazy group. Uh, man, <laughs> uh, and, and all of these guys ha- have like a, a fan, you know, group behind them. You know, there's people who really dig, you point out kind of the period pieces, uh, James Ivory people. Some people love that James Ivory shit where it's like going into a specific time and place in England. Uh, some people love Altman, you know, want to go into his, his world of just always, always kind of referencing itself and making movies kind of the the spotlight of everything and clint eastwood i mean good lord you know this is a guy that has very distinct style i love when this happens you have very different people that you can kind of pinpoint what they are and what they mean to the mean to the industry and to movie culture yeah i agree i mean this is kind of we look at the oscars to represent the best of a year and this is a very good representation of like the best directing that 92 had to offer uh, with a few exceptions, but yeah, yeah. From what I've seen, I've seen all of these, but the player. I really, God damn it, uh, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> I, yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> That's my vote for sure. <laughs> I gotta go Eastwood. All. I think Eastwood knocked it out of the park with Unforgiven, and I think he deserved this one. Yeah, that, yeah. Can't can't argue with it. I. It's one of my favorite parts of of Unforgiven is Eastwood's touch. From the very beginning, um, some of the beautiful shots of the of the home and uh, his his wife's resting place, and him just kind of working to some of the shots in the rain. Uh, it's it's astonishing, and then the way the way that these characters are filmed, the way Little Bill uh, is filmed, uh, the way English Bob is filmed, just great, 
just kind of on point everywhere. Everything's clicking in all cylinders. So you kind of have to tip your hat to Clint. Uh, it's yeah, it's definitely between him and Altman for me. Uh, after that, I guess Martin Brest. It's kind of a toss-up. One of my little, one of my favorite little touches about Unforgiven is the way that Little Bill Daggett is filmed from the bottom to make him look like a giant in this town. Yeah. Until he meets Will Money, and then he's on the ground, and Money is filmed from the top, from the bottom. So he's the giant now. It's like there's a new sheriff in town like represented with camera angles. It's fucking beautiful. Yeah. No, it's just classic stuff. These are the moves you should make as a, as a movie maker. These are the things you should catch. And Clint Eastwood, especially in this movie, he's, he's catching them all. Uh, yeah. All right. So I got Clint, you got Robert Altman. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Hell yeah. Can't, can't argue with Eastwood winning this one though. It's definitely, I think it's his strongest director showing uh, of, of movies i've seen of his yeah probably i've seen a good chunk of his directing films and i think you're right uh best supporting actor uh my favorite category always always so much fun and we have oh my god some titans here yeah we got jay davidson for the crying game jack nicholson for a few good men al pacino for glenn gary glenn ross david pamer for mr saturday night and the winner, Gene Hackman for Unforgiven. David Paymer, what a, I don't know, that feels like, you know, how did I get here kind of thing. I mean, I've never seen the movie, but it just, it, I feel like it's not up to par with the rest of these films. Yeah, let's take him out and put Philip Seymour Hoffman in as uh, George Willis in Scent of a Woman. <laughs> Giving him a nomination <laughs> right off the bat, early, like, yeah. first movie. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mr. Saturday Night is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's Billy Crystal's directorial debut. And yeah, just a movie I have not seen, have not checked out. So I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, God, Pacino, Nicholson, and Hackman in the same category is as about about star-studded as it gets. And then you have David Pamer and Jay Davidson. So wild. Hackman wasn't up for the conversation, was he? No. Fuck, I was like, it's 1974 all over again. But yeah, he wasn't up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, I love that. Yeah. Where's Justin Hoffman? Lenny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, these guys are guys we've brought up so many times because they're around forever, you know, <laughs> and Jack, especially Jack Nicholson. 12 nominations, three wins. Kind of a big liked, deal. I would have liked to have seen Chris O'Donnell for Best Supporting Actor for Sense of a Woman. I think he was good. Yeah, that one's hard because I think he's in it enough to be up for lead. You know, him and Pacino are both kind of just taking it, taking it. They, they remind me of Kaluuya and Stanfield and uh, Judas and Black Messiah. Okay. And they chose to put them both in supporting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think they were both lead actors. Uh, but Chris O'Donnell's a good shout. He is holding his own as best as he can <laughs> with Al Pacino screaming at him. So hats off to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I really think that Danny DeVito deserved a nom for Batman Returns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As the penguin, come on. Yeah. Just transformative fuck? as fuck. Yeah, who 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 else is doing that shit? You know, and and uh, you know, we've been talking about it, so I want to throw it out there. I think Harvey Keitel for Reservoir Dogs lights out. Lights out performance. He to me is carrying that movie with with some integrity that just not a lot of people have. You know, he he ha- he has the thing that he 
shows in movies, you know, <laughs> like he's this tough guy, you know, like in Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, he, he like actually carries himself that way. And it's, it's fascinating to watch. I think Keitel or Roth have a chance at lead at best actor to me, supporting would go to either Buscemi or Madsen. Michael Madsen. Yeah. Mr. Blonde or Mr. Pink. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably right. I think Mr. Orange and yeah, I think Mr. Orange and Mr. White are probably more lead characters. Yeah. You're probably right on that one, but someone. Yeah. That movie's, that movie's so good. (laughs) It sucks that it's not here. (laughs) You shoot me in a dream. You better wake up and apologize. Yeah. My favorite line. Are you going to bark all day? Little, little doggy. (laughs) Are you going to (laughs) bite? Oh man. Stuck in the middle of you playing. Yeah. Cutting a cop's ear off. Yeah. Come on. Why is that not here at the Academy? <laughs> Academy Awards. <laughs> he was going to kill a cop. Oh, this cop. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Unforgiving fucking movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're acting like a first year fucking criminal. <laughs> Am I the only professional? <laughs> Wonderful movie. Um, yeah, it really is. As- it's, been a, it's been a while since I've seen it too. So I, I might need to throw that on sometime soon. Hell yeah. As far as these five go, um, honestly, I want to give it to Jack Nicholson for A Few Good Men. Oh, yeah. Me too. Me too. Me too. Um, Al Pacino's great. Jack Lemmon is fucking great. And Glengarry Glenn Ross. Uh, love that cast. But, you know, I think it's a Hackman and Nicholson showdown here. And Nick Nicholson does maybe his most memorable stuff with this with this role. You know, we're talking about one for the cuckoo's nest chinatown the shining all these movies uh what he does you can't when he says you can't when he screams you can't handle the truth that's up there with everything he's done you know it's one of the first things you think about and that that scene is so riveting and so incredibly captured and the the screenplay is unbelievable and then what jack adds to it what you find out that he kind of ad-libbed and did on his own you got to give the man an Oscar. I I know he has, (laughs) he has a lot, you know, he's won three. He's been up for 12, but come on. Like this is, this is a win. That's a winner's performance right there. Yeah. He's such a great bad guy. Just this, like, you know, he's basically like a a military gangster. (laughs) And it's it's so cool. He's a crime boss with stripes. And yeah, he, like he knows he's the most powerful guy in the room the whole time he gets caught off guard, you know, just like you fucked with the wrong Marine, just like little stuff like that. it's so it's such a crazy fucking performance. And I, I really wish he'd taken it. I think Hackman's good, but Nicholson is great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think Hackman's great, but Nicholson is otherworldly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he He's goddamn. He, the more and more, uh, you know, he comes up on this show specifically, the more and more I'm convinced this guy might be the best <laughs> to ever, to ever do this, this particular craft. Oh, he's, he's, he's amazing. And a few good men, when it could go awry, Jack Nicholson is like, no, I'm going to make this movie even fucking better. You know, I'm just going to scream. Uh, and my favorite, I love the end scene, you know, the, you can't handle the truth, all that stuff. When you finally, hear hear what's actually going on my favorite is that first one when they first lock eyes tom cruise and jack nicholson he's like you think you can come down here with your uniform <laughs> you know he, he's like you got another thing coming buddy like i i sleep 300 yards away from cubans who want to shoot my fucking head off 
if you think you scare me, like, you better wake up. It's so cool. It's so cool. Um, he's the man. I, I love him. And I, I'll kind of always give him his flowers because he, he really is one of the best ever. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind kissing ass when it's appropriate. Yeah. When it's, when it's Jack. Yeah. When it's earned. <laughs> yeah. Fuck her up. <laughs> I love it. What a cool category. Uh, and uh, again, a true race between Hackman and Nicholson. And throw fucking Pacino in there, and you got you had a three-headed monster. Beautiful. I want no part of them three in the same room. Just they all they all are so loud. (laughs) Uh, Just uh, get me out of here. (laughs) I feel like an actual wave of talent will like sweep you out the door. (laughs) Yeah, you'll it'll be like Space Jam. You like get their powers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You come in there with an Oscar and just steal their talent. <laughs> they all have to touch it. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> I don't know what would happen though. You'd you'd be you'd be such a like cynical freak, you know. If it was those three those three guys that went into your you know your DNA, but Yikes. you would never fail an audition. My God, no. you'd be the hottest thing in Hollywood <laughs> in decades. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. That's great. Oh God. All right. Best picture. We have the crying game, a few good men, Howard's end, scent of a woman and the winner unforgiven. And we have ranked these films five to one. Yes. Yes, we have. This is tough. This was, uh, some of them were tough. Uh, A couple of them pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. My, my first one, definitely easy for me to do uh, that, that, that kind of top two, top three. Yeah. It's going to be, this is going to be a lot of fun. I like this a lot. Uh, we'll, we'll go five to one, of course, you know, we'll finish off with our, what we think is kind of the best and our favorite. Uh, again, a lot of movies we both really like are not here, not in this group. Uh, they've been mentioned many times before. So I, it would look a lot different if Connor and Austin were in charge of, of the Academy, <laughs> but with what we got and what's good about that, that it's different than how I think is I watched new movies because of that. I watched movies I haven't seen because of that. I'm going to watch the player. I'm going to watch reservoir dogs. I'm going to watch Batman returns, Glengarry Gunn Ross. Those movies appeal to me no matter what, but when I'm doing something for context and to start, try to see what were they seeing here? it shows me new stuff and I'm very grateful for that. You know, I, I hadn't seen Howard's end and I had not seen the crying game at all. I hadn't seen scent of a woman and unforgiven in years. So this, this is, this is very good for me to kind of be a few good men. I know, I know pretty well. It's a movie I've seen a few times. I like it a lot, but, but this, this has been a good exercise for me. This particular best picture showdown has kind of rewarded me by, by watching these different kinds of movies that I wouldn't have without the show. Wonderful. Yeah, same here. I finally watched uh, Al Pacino's Oscar-winning role, Scent of a Woman, because of this. Uh, and then Howard Zane. Yeah. That was a first-time watch as well. Uh, Emma, Emma Thompson, yeah. Yeah. Crying Game and uh, um, A Few Good Men I had watched fairly recently. And Unforgiven I hadn't seen since my undergrad, which was about 2014. So, okay. yeah. been a minute. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Well, with, without further ado, let's get into these, these rankings. So let's start with your five. We'll go to my five, your four, my four, my year three, my three, and so on and so forth. So what do you got? What's the, what's the last place movie here? The only one of this bunch I didn't like, and that is Howard's End. 
I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I, I knew, I knew you, uh, you had texted me while you were watching it saying it. It's a bit dull. Uh, and it, it is. It's two hours and 20 minutes of two families just fucking up one person's life and refusing to own up to it. That's the whole fucking movie is just rich people being rich assholes. There's no narrative really. It's just watching these two families kind of go back and forth and just make the worst possible decisions for anybody but themselves. Like I don't like anybody in these movies, except for maybe the, the poor guy who ends up getting fucked over the, the hardest. Yeah. He gets fucking like killed by a bookshelf. Yeah. It's just all the characters are so hard to relate to and like watch because they're just such self-involved assholes. Yeah. And you don't even meet <laughs> Anthony Hopkins until like 30 minutes into the fucking movie. Uh, and I just felt like there was no plot to get into. There was nothing to attach you to it. And in the end, I just felt like I'd wasted two and a half hours. So I gave it a six and I thought, this, this sucked, but I'm glad I watched it. That's not my number five. My number five is The Crying Game. You probably could guess with my disdain for it earlier. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a six or seven for me, somewhere in there. It, it's okay. I think there's redeeming stuff about it. But overall, I think it misses completely. I think it just, well, what it's ultimately trying to do, I think it just kind of misses those marks. While there are, you know, decent stuff happening, you know, there's decent stuff happening with the performers Overall, I just I, I don't see how someone can watch this and think this is a best picture movie. No, no, it's not. What are we doing? You know, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And, and you, you, you know, think you could say the same thing about Howard's End. That's totally fair. Uh, but yeah, pretty clearly my number five is Crying Game. Uh, not a movie I really want to revisit. Uh, I think I think like I'm good. You know, I think I'm good on, on that front. I'll check it out. Other Neil Jordan stuff. Fair enough. Uh, my number four is the crying game. Uh, okay, there we go. It it's not as good as some of these other films. I think that for 1992, having a transgender character who was significant to the plot and was actually fleshed out as a human being, I thought yeah. was significant as opposed to like Ace Ventura, where it's a punchline. Yeah, uh, it literally is a punchline at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, this is like a legit character, like like a cool person. Yeah. Dill, and, Dill is cool. Yeah. And I like the whole, you know, I like stories about the IRA. I like stories where like your good and bad guys are not too clearly defined. And I thought this film had an interesting story. Uh, I do think that it was pretty much Frankenstein together, like a couple of different ideas that didn't really work that well, but I wasn't bored and I really liked the performances and I appreciated that, Neil Jordan tried to be progressive as much as he could with studio approval in 1992. And uh, so that's my number four. Yeah, totally fair. Uh, my number four is your number five. My number four is Howard's End. But I, I, I liked it quite a bit more than you. I don't really know what it is about assholes being assholes, but I, I tend, tend to like that. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite TV shows that, and I don't watch a lot of TV shows, but one of my very favorite TV shows right now is Succession. And that's, that's what it is. It's just a bunch of rich dickheads fighting over rich people's stuff, you know? And you got, you got Brian Cox at the head of the family, just, uh, you know, this is the, the Anthony Hopkins here 
is kind of like the leader of this family, but he's a terrible leader. You know, he's a total fucking dick. And he's so good. Anthony Hopkins is so good. Everything that I see him in, I'm, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I, there's no one else that is good, is right for this role. He, he kind of does that continuously. Emma Thompson, superb stuff. I'm really glad I finally saw her, her win. And, and to me, the person who steals the show and was my favorite character is Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. I thought she was spectacular in this movie and her storyline of getting pregnant and going to, I think it's Germany and then coming back and like hiding from her sister. I thought that stuff was super interesting, but again, it's main issue is that, is that runtime that it's just, it's honestly like choking it out. It's like, if you were an hour and 40 minutes and you, you cut off some of the assholery because you already have enough of it, you, you could make this movie fly by a little bit better and, and have a, have a nice pace to it. But instead it's like, no, but we have to be an epic English period piece. And that, that's, that's what it has going against it. But I did like it. I thought it looked so beautiful. Uh, that's kind of why I was talking about it earlier in our, some of the technical categories. I do think Howard's end, you know, it got nine nominations uh, at this, this ceremony. And a lot of those are those categories, you know, where it just, it looks really good. It looks like, Oh, this is a fucking movie. You know, I'm in a totally different place. And I, I, I like when stuff does that, but I understand it being number five. I think that and the crying game are definitely behind. I, my, the one good thing I think that came out of me watching Howard's End, for the longest time, I have gotten three movies mixed up. Those are Howard's End, Remains of the Day, and Legends of the Fall. And now oh, yeah. I recognize Howard's End and I know what it is. So I just got to watch those other two movies and I won't have this problem anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's that Ivory Merchant. Yeah, that's that, that combo of, of James Ivory and Ismail Merchant like coming together and making those movies over and over. Yeah. <laughs> I just... I. When it comes to a film that's about rich people, I don't care. Like, I have real problems. I don't give a fuck about you and your stature in society. That's like, fair. How am that's I going to get involved in this film when I've got things that actually matter to me? <laughs> like, what is this shit? I don't care. So, yeah, yeah, it's a big thing for me. Like, if you don't have something that's directly going to, like, influence me, I'm going to be checked out pretty fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. One, if it's not going to have that rise and fall thing where you see someone go from having millions to nothing, like the Citizen Kane storyline, then then yeah, you you're just watching yeah dickheads be dickheads, and that's either something you like or or you don't. And usually I like it. Usually I have fun with fun with that. You know, like I'm a big fan of also Mad Men, the TV show, where it's just these fucking rich advertising guys just bullshitting and just being stupid. So. I just, I, I dig that. It usually provides for uh, good stuff in the screenplay. And I do think Howard's end has some, some shit that people were saying that if you're not paying attention, it'll, it'll, it'll go past you, you know, little, little, little things that this particular era uh, in the UK, just the way they speak is fascinating. Uh, but it's not, a, it's not a great movie. It's not a best picture nominee to me at all, but I did like it. I did like it. I think what separates it from like a film like Citizen Kane or, you know, Mad Men, like you mentioned, you need this small dose of humanity to keep them grounded. Mm. And, you know, Kane had that, Mad Men had that throughout, but there's, that's not there in Howard's end. They're just unapologetic the entire time. And there's nothing for me to be like, well, maybe he did care. None of that's there. So no, no, he doesn't get it. 
at the very end of the movie, Anthony Hopkins never like gets it. He never understands like I suck and I'm making these people like worse around me. You know, he like never quite gets that through his head. And his son is a piece of shit. I mean, good Lord, Charles, I think his name is, he is terrible. Good Lord. (laughs) I was, I was appalled by, by that, that, by that guy right away. If a weasel ever was like experimented on, it became a human being that that's what it would be. That smug. That's a good call. Yeah. I like that. That's, yeah, that's a good, good comparison. Okay, top three. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. So we so we have Crying Game and Howard's End out of the way. You have it. We just have it swapped. Yeah. Top three here. You know, we got Sensible Woman, Few Good Men, and Unforgiven. These are three good movies. Yeah. I'm very interested to see now how you sort them because this, this is hard. I've been sorting them up to literally the past 15 seconds because I'm that unsure. Um. <laughs> But me, me too. Yeah. <laughs> my, I've got my final three, and this is what I, I'm going to go with. My number three is Unforgiven. Wow. Yeah. Holy hell. Holy hell. <laughs> that was unexpected. I figured, yeah, I, I figured that'd be a shock. Uh, I had that and my number two swapped back and forth this whole time, and I, I went with my gut. Uh. It's a fantastic movie. It's a great Western. It's the epilogue to the Dollars Trilogy. It's the Man With No Name's final adventure. And I love that. And I do think, you know, the performances are fantastic. The cinematography is beautiful. The story's great. There's a bit of a lull in the middle, and that's about it. That's the only thing keeping it from being in my top two. There's a bit of a lull. It's still an eight to me. It's a great movie. It's a fun movie, but that lull... Or I just I I started glancing at my phone just a little bit. That mm. that was it, and I was like, ah. But it is a fantastic movie, and I don't want to take anything away from that. I I love the the idea that you know an outlaw, a vicious gunslinger, a murderer can meet somebody who takes that all out of him and makes him want to be a better man. And then when she goes he's got nothing left to anchor him to the world. That's kind of moved on without him. The whole movie is, you know, these gunslingers, these old men who ran the world are on their last legs in a world that's moving on. And I love that idea. You know, English, Bob, Ned, money, even little bill, they're all relics of the past. And this Mm. world is not accepting of a gunslinger. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to fly in the, the, the new way of life. And money is kind of a reminder of just how dark and violent the world used to be. And it's, there's so, you can take so much away from this film every time you watch it. Yeah. Yep. And I just, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. But the other two films just got me a little, little more. Ah, I love it. I love that. That's fantastic. So that's Unforgiven, the big best picture winner. Is that your number three? Oh man, yeah. My uh, so uh, the crying game is like a seven to me. Howard's end, I give a, I gave an eight. Uh, this movie right here, number three, also an eight to me, <clears throat> and the other two are nines. Number three, sent a woman. Uh, spoke a lot about it already. Got to talk about Pacino screaming. It's great uh, to see him in that in that in that zone, that element. Chris O'Donnell kind of surprised me. Uh, 
Philip Seymour Hoffman, my 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 dude, my favorite guy, uh, my favorite person to watch, is spectacular with just a little bit in this movie, all the way up until the end. But man, oh man, you know what the touch is that takes Sensible Woman to the next pl- next next stratosphere is Thomas fucking Newman. Who other than Thomas Newman on the score to just put this movie into a uh, almost Oscar Beatty category? But it breaks through it. It breaks through it because it's actually pretty good, actually pretty rewarding, and 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 I like it a lot, man. It's a solid eight, solid eight, good movie. Definitely gonna try to buy it now, and uh, put it on put it on the shelf because I, I I definitely dug it a lot more this time around. It went from a six to an eight. Uh, so yeah, I lots of respect for this movie now that I did not have. That's fantastic. I love that. I had the same thing happen to me for uh, Unforgiven a bit. I had when, the first time I'd watched it. I hadn't seen a lot of Clint Eastwood. I hadn't seen a lot of Westerns. So I was kind of yeah. just, all right, I got to watch this for school. And I liked the beginning. I liked, like, I liked the, the end a lot. But through most of the film, I was kind of like, what's really going on right now? Like, I wasn't really checked in. This time, I was, like, glued. And I'm like, all right, so this is what's going on. That's what's going on. All right, I'm in. Like, yeah. all the films I've watched are constantly reinforcing all my rewatches. They're bringing new information to the table. They're making me see these films in a completely new set of eyes. And I fucking appreciate the hell. Out of that. Yes. Yes. Same. Same here. Yeah. God, I love that. I love, I love doing that and, and knowing that it can happen again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> such a cool feeling. Who knows? In three years, I could watch Howard's end again and fucking love it. it yeah. And you could watch Unforgiven and be like, Oh, this is a masterpiece. You just never know. You never know. Uh, it, yeah, movies can kind of impact you in certain moments of your life, and you just never know when it's going to sweep you. Oh, yeah. Um, by the way, Howard's End is a six to me, and the rest of the films are eights. Um, wow. Okay. So four eights and a six. Okay. And I have a seven, eight, eight, nine, nine. Okay. <laughs> uh, my number two is Scent of a Woman. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was completely not expecting this to crack the top two when I started watching. I'm like, all right, let's settle in for this horse shit. But no, this is two and a half hours of joy. I really love this movie. This is a fun watch. It's a heartwarming watch. And I agree. Thomas Newman's score fucking elevates this thing. And I also love seeing James Rebhorn as just the dickhead he was so good at playing in the 90s. <laughs> Man. I know. God. And uh, I watched Independence Day not that long ago, and I'm like, yeah, he's the same dude. Like, just the worst person you would want in any situation. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Yeah. The guy who's willing to expel the one kid trying to do the right thing. And, oh. But, yeah, the I love the friendship that blooms between Pacino and O'Donnell both of them missing things in life, both of them finding it in the other. I love a story about a good friendship, you know, not, not romantic or, you know, self-indulgent, just two guys who found each other at the right time. And Ah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, O'Donnell needed to grow some balls, but Chino needed a new perspective on life and voila. But the scene that clinches it for me, the scene that made it my number two is the final scene at the school when O'Donnell is being reprimanded in front of the whole school. Dick move, by the way, Jesus Christ. 
what is this fucking ancient Rome? And yeah, <laughs> just, I love that Pacino walks in and is like, I will be representing this young man. Do you have a problem with that? <laughs> He's like, fine. Ugh. And then just after all of that, he stands up and is just like, what a crock of shit. Like in front of the whole school. <laughs> and they're all like, fuck. <laughs> and he just dresses down the headmaster and tells him like, what are you doing to this young man? And I love when he's like, and you three who actually did it, fuck you too. <laughs> just, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. I can't believe this shit, this kangaroo court. It's so, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's perfect. It's endlessly quotable. And just O'Donnell's face the whole time, like I act, you know, like, He's the closest thing he's ever had to a dad. And God damn, man, it's just, it's, it works. I don't know. I can't it believe does. I've been like, you know, just shitting on this film for so long without ever actually watching it. I feel bad about that. And I'm glad I've seen it now and I enjoy it. And I, I plan to buy this as well. I, I really liked it. I will watch it again. And I'm very happy about all of that. Me too, man. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I love when that that happens when you're kind of surprised in a good way by a movie here on Oscar Sunday and Sent a Woman has definitely done that for both of us. Uh, the, 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 the school stuff is, is so fascinating. You know, these super rich schools in the Northeast that are just, they're just delusional, just completely delusional on what, what's really going on and preparing these, all these boys for just failure, really. Uh, unless they're hand, unless they're just going to continuously be handed stuff, I, I love at the beginning when <clears throat> we see the prank being pulled by the three students, and then you know PSH and Chris O'Donnell both see it, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's just like telling him like, "Hey, it's it's always us versus them, man." <laughs> you, know? you know, it's like this weird. It creates this weird toxic dynamic between the students and the headmaster and the staff. It's so fucked up. Uh, and this movie captures that while also capturing New York really well, uh, captures that scene at, at uh, Lieutenant Slade's house, like with his family. Unbelievable. That's, that's one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Just good God. Where, when we learn why he's blind. Where Bradley Whitford just dresses him down. Dude. I love that Frank doesn't do shit until he disrespects Charlie. And then he goes off. It's like, fuck yeah. The honor in this man. We could all learn something. Yeah. Oh. For sure. Yeah, we could always learn something from Pacino's insane roles. I love it. I love it. He, there's always a bit of humanity in there. <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. So that's your number two. So obviously we know what your number one is, and you could probably guess it. My, uh, my number two is Unforgiven, making my number one a few good men. Uh, Unforgiven. Uh, you spoke about the lull. To me, it's very, very clear that uh, this movie has – you know, Bill Money, awesome character, has a uh, little Bill Daggett, awesome character, Ned Logan, awesome character, English Bob, awesome character. But the Schofield kid, ee, weak, weak performance, weak ass performance. And that that brings the movie down a little bit during that lull that you're talking about. Uh, just what is he doing? Half the shit he says is so it's like he's reading a fucking card. I can't stand that. This is in this movie. Cause I really do think it's close. It's close yeah. to being almost perfect, almost a perfect Western. And he kind of, he kind of fucks it up for me. Well, that kid is supposed to represent the new 
way of things. You know, the yeah. old macho gunslingers were fearless. They were, you know, murderers. This new kid is like trying to be one of them, but he'll never be one of them. He doesn't have the same cold blood that it takes to be William Money. And no, yeah, no. Then this is also supposed to be, you know, in a lot of ways, Unforgiven is the end of the Spaghetti Western. At the end of an era. And now, you know, it's kind of soft. Got, you know, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the shit that my film teacher said, and I've got like 40% of it still in here. So I'm trying to <laughs> regurgitate that shit. It's not working though. That's awesome. I love that. He just remembering what people say about movies you it's amazing what you can retain years later you know it's like oh that's there somewhere rattling around (laughs) uh yeah i I think that's for me unforgiven that's what's keeping it from being i I just threw and through best picture winner dominant movie i think there is that lull i agree with you the beginning is amazing the end is fucking spectacular but there there is something in the middle there that that is that's a little weaker than the rest uh, and for that, A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men does not have that. Uh, awesome, awesome movie. Tom Cruise quite possibly doing his best work. And, uh, and, and of course, Jack is doing some of his best stuff. So I, I, I adore I adore this movie. It's Aaron Sorkin at his, at his peak, you know, uh, a total freak of nature at this time. Like figuring out oh i'm i'm this is what i do you know this like i have a distinct style and it's fast and it's you know got his pace to it that only certain actors can even get away with and tom cruise just so happens to be one of the best to ever do the famous sorkin talk he, he just tom cruise knocks out of the park he speaks at a like a hundred miles per hour while saying super intellectual shit it's it's just stuff that not a lot of people can write down nor can actors do and a few good men puts that all together. It has a cool twist. It's just a yeah. It's a it's a great movie. There's really nothing that that's like wrong with it to me. Yeah, I had a feeling that we were both going to end up not being able to handle the truth. I had a feeling it was going to be both of us. Yeah. Yep. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm glad. It's yeah. I'm. This was great. I first saw this uh, when I did the uh, my prep for the Moneyball episode. Mm. Went through Sorkin's work. And A Few Good Men was one that I, they had just taken off Netflix and I stumbled upon it at the DVD exchange store and was like, fuck it, mine. And yeah, yes, definitely, definitely. It's such a engaging film. It's just, I love, love courtroom dramas. I don't know what it is. There's just something about that setting that just grills me to the screen or glues me to the screen. Mm -hmm. It's, this film is such a great courtroom drama. It's a great lesson in humanity in um, etiquette, in respect, and, you know, not being just the worst son of a bitch to ever wear a uniform. <laughs> and yeah, seeing yeah. Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson go back and forth like that, you know, trading words like fucking swords. It's, it's, a, it's an art form, and Sorkin has perfected it. Yeah. This is a, you know, a flawless screenplay, some brilliant characters, and just painting a picture with words, it's, you know, Sorkin's all dialogue. And I think this film could have had a shot at Best Picture. I think it really could have. Uh, but to me, it's my favorite of the five. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's my favorite. And I think it's 
the most solid. You know, if if Reservoir Dogs is in the group, I might say A Few Good Men is the more quality overall film, but I like Reservoir Dogs more just as a fan. Uh, that that could definitely happen. I like Batman Returns better than all these movies, but that's not to me. Batman Returns isn't necessarily a Best Picture winner. It's just a movie that's very much very much uh, you know up to my speed. But A Few Good Men kind of does both. I, I think it's a movie that a lot of movie fans really kind of attach themselves to. And the fact that Sorkin wasn't nominated yeah. is just really crazy. You know, I think they just, oh, maybe he's too young, you know. And then, of course, later on, he's been, he, I hate that shit. He's been given his flowers now uh, as time has gone on, you know, for like Molly's Game and Moneyball and Social Network and this, this stuff. But, uh, Charles Chicago 7, but this might be his best screenplay over, overall. You know, it is so damn strong. And yeah, we could talk about it forever. A few good men is awesome, but, but I, you know, unforgiven. That's the movie we chose. Cause it's the, it is the winner. So we have awards for it, but now I think it would be very fun to one day do awards for a few good men. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, there's so many films we've talked about on this show that I kind of like bank in the back of my head. Like we got to do an episode on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Incentive Woman's on there too. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh for the audience, let's go ahead and recap our our top our five count. Okay. Uh, you go ahead. Uh number five, Howard's in. Number four, the crying game. Number three, unforgiven. Number two, scent of a woman. Number one, a few good men. And yeah, love it. We just have slight changes. Mine's number five, the crying game. Number four, Howard's in. Number three, scent of a woman. Number two, unforgiven. And number one, a few good men. So we just switched four and five and two and three. We both had the same number one and kind of similar flow to, to what was going on. I love it. Uh, cannot wait to do this again one day. You know, uh, it'll, be, it'll be about a month from now or we'll get to do another Best Picture Showdown and kind of talk about a bunch of different movies. But we picked out awards for Unforgiven because there is some amazing stuff going on here. And I, I had a hard time picking these. But oh boy, was it fun. It was fun today to kind of think about what's my favorite line what really is my favorite scene and the music's so good in it. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be doing this movie, but I would also love to do sent to a woman <laughs> and a few good men. They, they would have good awards as well, but we have the Quentin Tarantino for best line or quote. We have the Ennio Morricone for best music moment. We have the Philip Seymour Hoffman award. Shout out to George Willis for, uh, for best performance of the movie. And we have the Roger Deakins Award for best scene or best moment of the movie. So I'll let you take it away with your Tarantino. Good luck. Oh, I knew what this was going to be immediately because it's one of my favorite threats ever in a Western. And it's uh, it's towards the end of the film after money has just gone apeshit on the saloon. And yeah. he's walking out and he announces to the town of Big Whiskey. Love that name, by the way. For a- Yeah, Big Whiskey, Wyoming. Yeah, Big Whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> um, he yells out at a tavern, any some bitch takes a shot at me, I'm not only going to kill him, I'm going to kill his wife and all his friends and burn his damn house down. And yeah. no one even touches him. Because <laughs> this motherfucker yeah. will do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he actually will stick to his word. Yeah. <laughs> like, what damn. a great line. And it's Clint Eastwood with, you know, that, that raspy, I'll fucking kill you, sons of bitches. <laughs> Yeah, like this is a man who has murdered hundreds of people. Like he is 100% not going to lose any sleep over this piece of shit town. God, 
So good. I, I chose I chose a, a line right around that same area. It's just before that happens. And it's uh when little Bill is on the ground dying. Uh and he looks up at this is when they have that camera trick that you were talking about. Now 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 Bill Money is huge. And he says, uh little Bill says, I don't deserve this to die like this. I was building a house. Deserves got nothing to do with it, Money says. And little, little Bill comes back. I'll see you in hell, William Money. <laughs> and then Will Money just looks at him and says, yeah. And then shoots him. <laughs> God damn it. That's so fucking cool. Just, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. But you're the one. You're dying first, bastard. You know? <laughs> I love how Daggett is like, has to go out thinking he's getting the last laugh. It's like, no, dude, you're, you're dying. <laughs> you, you're you're done you can shut your mouth now yeah <laughs> so crazy straight up i think this is a good time to mention that all of my awards come from the same scene <laughs> totally fair that is totally fair because that last 10 15 minutes is awesome <laughs> yeah oh boy the character of little bill daggett is so complex and smart because he's the sheriff here. He's supposed to be the law of this town. He's the guy keeping assassins out, but he's not doing it for the right reasons. He's doing it because this is his motherfucking town and no one is going to exact vengeance in his town under his watch. You know, like, and we see this dark side of him mostly when he kicks the shit out of English Bob and it's like, you know, this is what happens to assassins in Big Whiskey. Like, you don't come in here into my town and try to run shit. Like, it's cool. We get this kind of, you know, it's the, we're rooting for the sadistic outlaw to take out the sheriff. That yeah. never happens. It, yeah. Yeah. No, it's brilliantly set up the way that, you know, from the beginning, the, the credits we see about, about uh, money's wife, you know, it, like that gives you this kind of, Oh, okay. Like, fuck, this guy's going through something tough. And because you don't see all that shit, you know, it's just these scars that he has from his past it definitely provides this, who do you root for? It provides that, that aspect. And when a movie can do that, uh, that's my favorite. When everybody's gray, there's no, there's no, here's the hero and here's the bad guy. I love when it's just people because that's how people are. That's why I fucking love the Spaghetti Western because every character in those films, there's no, you know, John Wayne clean cut hero and, you know, vaguely Mexican bad guy. It's just, yep. you know, gray motherfuckers, Bounty hunters, outlaws, lawmen trying to make their way in a lawless world. And yeah, kind of just got to pick your lane. It's fantastic. I wish more Westerns were like that. Mm, me too, man. Me too. It's a, it's a great way to just kind of storyboard your, your film, like with this kind of, these kind of characters, these real, real life people. It's, a lot of my favorite directors do that. They do that. They choose great stories with people who, are like fucked up but relatable uh it's the best it's the best this movie that's one of the best things that it has going for it uh the the score is quite quite strong and unforgiven so the the ennio morricone award was tough what, what'd you go with uh to me i thought the score was actually fairly uh simplified i didn't really find a lot of moments to really hold on to with the score until uh towards the end where we get this little sting of rising uh, turmoil that starts playing right before money goes over and like takes out little bill. It reminded me a lot of the 
like vengeance music that plays whenever the bride is about to wipe out somebody mm. and kill Bill. It had that <laughs> kill Bill, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it reminded me of that, and it was very tense. And it's like, oh boy, the outlaw is taking over the good man. <laughs> like he's evil is winning over in William Money right now. There is a conflict, and good is losing. And, yes. Yeah, it was, it reminded, I love that. It, it had this kind of like, who is the real villain right now? Is it the man shooting an unarmed man in the face with a, with a rifle and then threatening to murder everyone's families? <laughs> like, is that our hero right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I, I like that little, little musical sting. <laughs> That's so good. It really is. Yeah. This guy who's this basically this guy who's like fucking Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. Who's like, I will kill your child. <laughs> like, fuck. Uh, Vince Gilligan, for sure. Uh, watch Unforgiven. Uh, I, I went with um, the beginning, the, uh, the beginning of the film. It's called Claudius Theme. There's eight different versions of it throughout the score. But that first one, when you see the credits rolling through and you see uh, this character, Claudia, that gets mentioned, you know, throughout the film when he's like, oh, Claudia, clean me up, man. The whiskey and all, you know, Claudia, we never see her, but we, we clearly have this. She. Out of anybody that he came across, he wanted to, like, kill every last fucker that he came across. But for whatever reason, Claudia had a hold on him, you know, and when a, when a, when music can can like bring a ghost. That's how I felt when it can like bring almost a spirit into play with the movie it, it kind of takes me over and, and i i definitely like all eight of those claudia's theme but the version one is my favorite from the very beginning of the movie uh this is a score by lenny nyhouse i think is how you say his name uh i liked it i i, I liked it I, I liked um there's one bit that i almost chose that's just called shave and a haircut and it's when clay eastwood's looking in that window shaving thought that was a really good bit of score but it is, you're right, it is very simple. It's a very basic, I think that's what it has going for it. Less is more, you know, it just kind of stick to its, sticks to its roots. I can respect that. I think Westerns are either grandiose or incredibly subtle. There's not a lot of middle yeah. ground with Western themes. My personal favorite Western score of all time is Once Upon a Time in the West. Ennio, <laughs> yeah, Ennio, our boy. Yeah, yeah. Boy. Who's going to do it better than the man who, fucking invented yeah just weird ass noises like you're watching a sci-fi movie and then bang you know then you hear the whip and yeah just so cool harmonica's theme as he's walking up to frank like you did this to me i love that movie (laughs) yeah that is a god that's a great one we watched that for this show but it was like uh must have been we were talking about fonda yeah we did 12 angry men and we decided to brush up on some of our some of the best henry fonda performances and Mm, i suggest that's right that's right. Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. 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 That's right. Good times. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. <laughs> All right. Um, who do you got for the PSH? God, man. Uh, great stuff from all four Eastwood, Hackman, Freeman, and Harris. All four of them to me are pretty awesome. And I'll have an argument here. But you mentioned them already. Uh, the depth, the kind of philosophy behind the way he, he does stuff, especially in that jail cell scene while English Bob is, is laying down. Uh, 
it's it's Gene Hackman as little Bill Daggett. He's yeah, man, he's so scary, but he's the fucking sheriff right from the beginning when he's like, oh, let's settle this right here. How about we give you fucking five horses and you get, you know, you guys fuck off. And that whole bit is so crazy when you have skinny saying, well, this is like damaged property. I have a contract, you know, it would be like if I, you know, fucked up one of their horses, you know, that kind of thing, that kind of attitude about this young girl. And, and Gene Hackman fucking little bill walks right in. And he's just like, well, let's fucking, what, what do you guys want to do? Should you guys take some of their, some of their work, basically some of their stuff that their materials they're fucking horses. Uh, from then on, he just has zero control. <laughs> zero control of what's really going on, but he thinks he's in control of everything. I love how they make fun of him for being a bad carpenter, and he's just like, no, I'm, I got to make this house, you know. I, I love all that stuff. I love everything he's doing. And then at the end, when he can't accept that this is actually his death, you know, just really cool, really cool stuff. Gene Hackman is a a one out of one guy. I, I really respect him and what he's able to do. Uh, I love this character. Love the grayness of him. But you could, again, you could kind of give it to all four. One of my favorite little moments is when uh, Hackman and um, I don't remember the character's name, Saul Rubinek, the writer. Yeah. Uh, uh, Beauchamp. Uh, Beauchamp. Yeah. Yeah. Is when they're having like coffee in his place and he just mentions, like, you know, you should hang the carpenter. And he's like, what was that? He just looks yeah, at him like, yeah. what the fuck you just say to me? And Beauchamp's like getting the, the vibe. He's like, no, 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 nothing. nothing. Just, yeah, I'm a writer. I love that. You know, anytime there's like shots, fires, I'm just a writer. <laughs> uh, that, shit's, that shit's great. He, bit, you know, he convinces him to like stay with him and like, hey, like I'm the real person you want to be fucking writing about. I, Lil Bill is, oh man, what a great character. Lil Bill Daggett. English Bob is a fucking joke. He's a fake legend. He's not, you know, he's, but Bill is the real deal as far as he's concerned. You know, he's, I love when he like, just, you know, hands the gun to English Bob and Bob doesn't shoot him. And he's like, good call. I would have killed you. <laughs> like, hmm, maybe. I don't know. He's kind of building yeah. his own legend here. You know, he's, he's, he thinks he's a legend, but is he? I love that bit when he's talking about, uh, he's like, well, yeah, they called him two gun, but that was because his dick was so long. <laughs> that was just as big as his 45, you know, <laughs> fucking a man. And he's like, uh, it, it got English Bible sore because he stuck it in some old French lady. <laughs> God, only Gene Hackman can do this, man. <laughs> I love that. Like Bill doesn't strike me as an uneducated man. But he keeps calling the book. He keeps calling him the duck instead of the yeah. duke. And I know that's not like that's one hundred percent on purpose. He does. He knows what a duke is. He just refuses to call English Bob a duke. Yeah, the duck. Yeah. God, love that. Love that character. That scene is unbelievable when they're in the jail cell when he's talking to Bushamp and he's like, "Yeah, you can, you can be quick, but it's all about being composed." You know, when people are shooting at you, he's like, "It's." A lot of people will get rattled. You know, like, yeah, no kidding. Cause you're fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, he's so good. I love Gene Hackman. I'm kind of a sucker for him anyway. Uh, so maybe there's a little bit of bias in that, but he's amazing. Uh, and, and my favorite character in the movie too. Oh, you're not alone in thinking that he did win the Oscar. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> not exactly a hot take. No, no. It, it, none of these four is, is it a hot take? These guys are legends in their own right. 
And for me, just because of the, the, the layering of the character, this kind of inner t- struggle between good versus evil at all times, I got to go Clint Eastwood as William Mike. Okay. Totally fair. <laughs> yeah. I just love this guy who's been a monster his whole life and is constantly struggling with, you know, what would Claudia want me to be? And then when his best friend is killed, all bets are off. He's like, fuck that. It's time for some frontier justice. <laughs> and just goes to work on this town. It's awesome. And in that, you get to see just how cold and composed he is. Like, everything Bill was talking about is William Money. He's the legend. He's the outlaw. He's the one everyone should be writing about. Yep. He he's who he's really been talking about. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't mince words. He acts. And <laughs> you don't fuck with this guy. Um, yeah, just everything he does, the whole film, every action he takes, you can feel him thinking about it. Like, is this, is this right? Should I be doing this or should I do that? And then, you know, he, when he loses, I, I'd argue Ned is kind of his moral compass with his wife dead. And with mm-hmm. Ned gone, he has no moral compass and he just goes completely insane. Yeah. Uh, it's such a great performance. There's scenes like when he has a fever and he thinks he's going to die and he's talking about his fear of death. That show, really, Eastwood had range that I think we all forget about. He really did. He was a great actor. I say was because he's more directing these days. But yeah, when yeah. he was constantly there, he's not dead. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he really did um, bring it all to the table. And when you think about how William Money is kind of the amalgamation of every Western character Eastwood had ever played, the man with the no name, uh, the stranger from High Plains Drifter, all of them, they're all William Money, or William Money is all of them at the end of the road. Yes. And when he brings that into this character, there's this just awe about the guy that you can't help but stare at. Every action he takes is like, you know, you're watching, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's mesmerizing. No, yeah, no, I, I, I share the same kind of uh, admiration for that, that kind of building on top of your legacy and kind of putting an exclamation point on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Great stuff. Uh, would you say Gene Hackman's second? Yeah. In the yeah. PSH? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Eastwood is my second, but God, Richard Harris as English Bob is so fucking good and provides a, a just, totally different kind of pizzazz you know to, to what's happening in this movie god damn i love that performance and morgan freeman's holding his own uh i love when him and i love when ned and bill are just kind of talking about he's like remember when i fucking shot through that guy's head and his teeth flew out and morgan freeman's like yeah you were a crazy fucker <laughs> you're a crazy <laughs> son of a bitch back then but you're not like that anymore <laughs> I love so good when richard harris is getting literally like kicked out of the town on a stage coast and he's just yelling back, you're a bunch of bloody savages. The lot of you like yeah. no respect at all in this town. Like I, <laughs> it's hilarious. Just so good. Man who was expecting a, you know, a little bit of civility is met with, you know, fucking steel toed boot in the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> the big whiskey, Wyoming way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how we say hello in Wyoming. <laughs> God. Yeah. yeah. So good. Everyone it. gets well, their moment. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That that they do do a good job of those those main guys. They they really get to shine. Uh, 
and that that's got to be a lot of fun. I'm sure they they had a blast playing these characters. Uh, boy, oh boy, the Deacons. I think we're in the same boat here. But how do you how do you present it? <laughs> it's it doesn't seem like it's just one scene. <laughs> It's very much a snowball of a lot of moments that lead to just a explosion. But yeah. To me, the moment I had is little Bill is, you know, uh, pepping everyone up saying like, all right, posse, we're going tomorrow. I don't remember, you know, remember everyone's got two drinks and then it's out of your pocket and everyone's in a good mood. And then money walks in slowly and everyone's like staring like, uh, <laughs> what, what do we do? And he just shoots this guy. And Bill's like, you fired on an unarmed man. And he's like, he should have armed himself. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's not my it. fault. Yeah. All bets are off. You killed the man's best friend and now you suffer the consequences. And then, then from there on, like from there to him, like to William Money riding out of town is my deacons. It's such a perfect finale of just justice, for lack of a better word. And it's true to the character and it works. And I love it. Yeah, I chose the exact same thing. Uh, I, I wrote I wrote from the time he opens fire and just starts killing a bunch of motherfuckers fast to, to yeah, to him writing off is cinematic, you know, perfection. It really it re- really just gives me chills just kind of talking about it. Uh, there there's some great, great stuff happening in this movie, but that finale, it knows exactly what it's doing. It knows it's going out with a huge bang giving the audience what they want finally by, by, by money being pushed to that limit. Uh, all, all for Ned Logan. You know, you, you just don't kill, don't kill somebody's best friend. Yeah, <laughs> don't do especially that. Especially if that somebody is you know, yeah. a dangerous outlaw who ever lived, who is on like a like seven year sober streak and he's about to fall off the fucking wagon. <laughs> so good. So good. God, that, that is some of the best stuff. I would love to be a fly on the wall watching that happen, watching them film that in the saloon and just kind of capturing Western genius. It's, it's great stuff. One of my favorite Western scenes of all time uh, is that final kind of like showdown. Uh, and of course my Tarantino fell in line with that. Cause and it's same with you where it's kind of in that, that run. I love when he, I love when he shoots little Bill Daggett He's like, it got you bastard. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. The rifle an inch in front of his fucking face, and he just boom, like blast. He's gone. <laughs> yeah. He's, there's like no there's like no way to even recognize little Bill anymore. He, little Bill is like wiped off the face of the earth. It's just so so brutal. So since we pretty much spent all of our time in one scene of the movie, are there, is there anything beyond the the shootout that you'd like to kind of point out yeah i i think the the shootout and then that jail scene that i was talking about with a little little bill and and beauchamp when they're talking about like the philosophy of like gunslingers it's like holy shit it feels like you're getting uh an inside look like a sneak peek into what makes up the idea of these characters in in film yeah and you're you're getting an inside look at one guy who thinks he's like this badass you know titan when really he's about to get got uh, the very, the very beginning. I love, I love the subtlety of the beginning of the film when you're art, you know, this guy's got these two kids running around, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood and 
he initially takes this job for money, you know, for, for, for the cash. Cause he's like, I need it. I need to set them up better. Uh, he does not really want to kill anymore. You know, that's not really on his radar. He wants to live like a simple life, but that, that opening that of just seeing this woman get like just the shit beat out of her and get sliced is such a ballsy wild way to start a film, you know? Uh, and so right away we see some subtlety and then bam, you're in this town, it's raining and you're inside this brothel and it just gets, it gets rowdy and violent really quick. And that's when, again, you're introduced to little bill and he's like, clearly not like a, a great guy, you know, and the way he, the way he decides to settle this is ridiculous. So I love all that stuff. I love all the character introduction. I love when Ned Logan gets kind of thrown into play. I love when English Bob gets thrown into play. I love even Beauchamp. I love the way he gets thrown into play. Uh, one of the more kind of uh, slower scenes that I do like, that is a kind of a part of the lull of the film is when um, I think her name is Delilah. She, when she goes to visit uh, Will Money and she's talking to him cause he's, you know, he's injured and whatnot. And they're talking to each other, just really interesting stuff, you know, just kind of this back and forth uh, where they're, you know, oh, those two guys are taking advancements on, on the, on the fucking payment. And he, and you could just tell real clear, like real quickly that, well, they could do that, but that's not me. You know, it's not, that's not, I'm kind of working for my two, these two children that are in my life. They're working for themselves. You know, Uh, it's like, I, I love all that stuff. Those like little key character progression, you know, little, little scenes are, are very important. And I think this movie nails a lot of them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I like the, you know, occasional insights into William Money as a man and not just mm. as a legend. Yeah. That bit with Delilah is perfect of, you know, representing that. But even dead, he, he won't cheat on his wife. He refuses to betray her memory in any way. Uh but also doesn't, you know, assures Delilah. It's not because you're cut up. It's because I want to be faithful. Like, you know, if I wouldn't, if I wasn't married, I'd, I'd, you know, be all over that. Like, basically, what he says. But um, yeah, yeah, that's basically <laughs> basically what he tells her. Yeah, I like the, I do like the jail, the jail scene where they talk about the gunslinger as like a larger mythos of the West because in history, you know, it in the eighteen. 18- 70s 1880s not every person in you know the western united states was billy the kid or jesse james these were larger than life characters who writers like beauchamp would dramatize and they would be sent back to the east coast and that would be the viewpoint that americans Mm. get of the west this wild crazy place where you know outlaws ran supreme and that's kind of what's let like what's lasted. The legacy of the West has been these stories and they've only transferred in medium. Uh, These movies like unforgiven and the dollars trilogy and once upon a time in the West, this is how we view 18, like late 1800s America. And yeah, not not accurate most of the time, but you know, it did happen. It's just, I think it's interesting that even back then we were mythologizing heroes and legends and, you know, dramatizing our lives. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Just to like entertain ourselves and keep going and build, build stories. Love it. I love it. I think, I think Unforgiven is, is super ahead of its time in that way. 
where it just it just it's gonna layer itself on top of uh, on top of itself over and over to make it kind of endlessly rewatchable. You can kind of watch this movie over and over and kind of pick something up new with yeah. just the just the tropes that it's using. Uh, yeah, awesome, awesome, definitely a western that I hold in a very high regard, like the same ones you just mentioned. It's in that category of of some of the best westerns I've ever seen. So really glad we got to talk about it today. Uh, I I love the performances and love the music, love everything going, going on around it. It's just a cool movie. Yeah. Straight up. This was, this was fun. Uh, I give it an eight. Uh, Seems like a good spot for me. Nines are, are rare for me. A movie can be absolutely outstanding and I may still give it an eight. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's, it's a nine for me. It pushed, I had it as a seven. Uh, that just didn't feel right anymore. <laughs> uh, and, and again, scent of a woman, I moved from six to an eight. So, you know, there's always, uh, always open to new perspective and a, a new way of seeing a movie. Uh, but at the end of the day for the 65th Academy Awards, we both think out of that group, a few good men should have taken it. Sorry, unforgiven. We love you, but a few good men we think is uh, slightly the better film. Um, this is this is the conclusion of our our 90s run you know we uh have been here for a minute we did truman show uh what's eating gilbert grape uh what else did we do <laughs> uh <laughs> toy story lost oh yeah that was the first one we got to do uh that was a blast yeah and what's the other one why can't i think of uh why can I not think of the other film we did? Uh, I don't want to look it up. Was it 1990? <laughs> it wouldn't have been 92. Was it 93? No, we did What's Eating Gilbert Great for 93. Um, okay. Man, I cannot think of this. I've got, I'm, I've, I've got it. I'm coming. <laughs> um, okay. The movie was... Oh, Awakenings. Awakenings. Fucking Awakenings. Motherfucker, yeah. Yeah, I was like, okay, it's got to be 1990. Yeah, Awakenings is great. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we keep track of a lot over here. <laughs> feels like a so long ago, Awakenings. Jesus. Uh, so yeah, we did Toy Story, Awakenings, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Truman Show, and now here we are with Unforgiven. Yeah. Finished off that 90s uh, five-episode run, so we're going to move on to a new decade starting next week. Uh, and what we've done so far is the 50s and the 90s. And with this format, what we want to do is kind of jump from old to new. Uh, the, the old, I would say, consists of the 20s slash 30s, because uh, there's only a couple ceremonies in the 20s. And then you have the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. And I think there's kind of a, a line there. And then you have the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s. So that's five and five. And we feel like we could bounce between those two. And kind of, kind of choose a decade, old and new. So we did fifties. We just finished nineties. One old, one new. We're gonna go back to the old, and we both felt like doing the forties this time. So, starting next week, going from August first, all the way to let's see, August 29th, the entire month we will be in the forties. Kind of knock it, knock movies out that we haven't seen or, or want to rewatch. And next week, I think, is a rewatch for you. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, a guy I have not really just have not explored enough. And I'm very excited to visit 1947's Monsieur Verdoux, uh, where there's just one nomination for screenplay, Charlie Chaplin. 
So I'm, I, I love doing movies like that, that have the one go at it. We can kind of hone in on Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. That'll be kind of, that'll be kind of what we're doing next week. I'm going to try to watch probably a couple other forties Chaplin movies uh, just to kind of give myself some more, you know, more knowledge. Uh, we did the great dictator long ago, Yeah, long ago. I think, I think it was episode five. Uh, that was a long time ago. And uh, you, you introduced that movie to me and I was blown away by it. I thought it was really good. And of course the speech at the end is fucking amazing. So I have a whole different look on Charlie Chaplin and I'm excited to watch this movie, which is, you know, kind of right up that Chaplin street. So I- I'm ready. Well, see ever do I, is a film I only found out about uh, early this year. And I was like, what? There's a film in 1947 where Charlie Chaplin plays a serial killer. Are you kidding me? And then I immediately yeah. sought it out and watched it and I was blown away. It's hilarious. It's, you know, made during the Hayes code. So it is, you know, he's not, there's a lot they can't talk about, but it's still a fun film about a black widower who is just killing these women for money, but it's Chaplin, you know, actor, director, writer producer because nobody told this motherfucker what to do yeah and uh it's a talkie which i know is not weird to you because you're fairly new to chaplin but i watched all of his silent shorts and his silent movies before i found the talkie film so it's weird hearing his voice yeah i'm sure yeah so this will be fun to revisit uh i only saw this for the first time like six months ago so this will be a fun revisit uh hell yeah i like that i like that yeah, and a blast. Um, tomorrow's sneak preview will be covering uh, M. Night Shyamalan's new thriller, Old, as well as the new G.I. Joe reboot prequel thing, Snake Eyes. Um, Yikes. And, yeah. <laughs> Saw both these films. Don't expect a very positive show. Uh, and uh, then on Wednesday's Filmgasm, Caleb and I are tackling a Netflix original called The Perfection which I've heard is lights out weird and freaky. So yeah, I'm watching that tomorrow and that'll be a blast. Uh, this has been really fun. I always enjoy a nice Oscar Sunday. Yeah. Nice big Oscar Sunday. Sorry. It was a little long today, but uh, best picture showdowns tend to yeah. push, push that two hour runtime pretty handily. Uh, a lot to talk about. And we like to give those five movies the proper uh, kind of, you know, talking to, you know, really talk through them. And that's what we're, that's what we're doing. And I can't wait for our forties. One is going to be so cool <laughs> uh, a month from now on August 29th. I cannot wait till we have another best picture showdown in the forties. It's going to be so cool. I think the whole run is new shit for both of us. The forties run. Yeah. Or yeah. Most well, of the films yeah. are. Well, yeah, you, you've seen monster of Verdu the one time, right? Uh, yeah. But yeah, for me, it's, it's all stuff I've never seen. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's how it's going to usually go in the forties. <laughs> and what's weird, what's weird is I've, I've owned, um, you know, some of the movies we're talking about in the forties, I've owned one of them for a long time. And it's like, why well, have I not watched it? <laughs> now is the time, you know? So yeah. it's, it's definitely movies we've heard of and, uh, have reasons for right. Uh, and monster Overdue, you're a big Chaplin fan. We've done Chaplin a long time ago on the show. It's time to bring him back. Uh, time, time to bring him back with a totally different role. Ah, fantastic. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Check out Filmgasm on Wednesday, Sneak Preview on Monday, Giggle Guys on Friday, uh, and keep watching movies. Hell yeah.